Let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From the Ancient One Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome to the Cube. (laughs) Well, hello everyone and welcome to episode 133 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. Brendan, man, we've got a hunt to talk about today, do we not? We do. We have Dawnbringers 3, The Long Hunt, which features four armies of renown, a couple of new war scrolls, one that we're both very excited for, and then a second that you have a lot of fondness for. Yes. Stormcast are getting a new, well, it's not really a new hero. It's the original (laughs) model that came out for Stormcast. I own his Cryptborn on Dragon, and then Sylvaneth are getting a a game changer in the form of Belthanos. Uh, the first talent of Kernoth. So, yeah, that's what we got. Obviously, you and I both got back from trips here recently. That's probably going to be our next episode. Yeah. We could give you a five-hour show here before Thanksgiving, but... No thanks. <laughs> I don't think we want to record, and I don't think Dan wants to None of us want edit that. It. No, 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 not at all. And we'll probably have a couple other things in that episode as well. We've already talked about a couple ideas we had. We'll see what we come up with. But, yeah. Yeah. That's it. Uh, Let us move straight into Whispers from the Warp. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. All right, what do you got going on at your table? I ended up playing Flesh Eater Courts at Worlds, and I needed Mm. to paint about six horrors, and I also spent the time really updating that army, because that was my first contrast paint army. Oh, okay. And as I was going back over it it, and looking at it, I really felt it was wanting. (laughs) There's a lot of things that I had learned about Contrast since painting that army, particularly like when I did my Slaves to Darkness, which was really the stated goal was to learn how to use Contrast in a lot of different ways. Mm. So I went back and did some touch-ups and, you know, got it looking a little bit nicer. Great. Yeah, so did that and then, you know, came back from Worlds. I wasn't particularly inspired to, you know, jump right in and start playing anything, but I caught some inspiration to paint my Stormcast after I painted my stand-in Knight and Cantor for Vault Wars. Oh, yeah. And this paint scheme drives me nuts, typically. I just got to paint as many Stormcasts as I can while I've caught this little bit of lightning in the bottle. You know, just add models to the roster. Yeah, that's been it for me. What about you, Dan? I got my box with Belthanos, his Mm. thing where he has three Kurnos and three Dragonflies, you know, three of the flying guys. I am thinking very seriously. We had talked about it before, but I did some theoretical dice rolling here on the table, and I think I'm going to build six Scythes. Okay. So that'll give me six of each type of Kurnoth now, once that's finished. And I think it'll be something I want to give a go on the next couple few times I play the game. And then, of course, Belthanos is broken out. I have his sprue on the table, ready to roll. I'm pretty sure I have a paint scheme. It's going to be kind of a base brown. And then I can use a lot of like orange, red, orange, yellow kind of colors, some black mixed in. I'm kind of like is on the in all the pictures, but I want to do something a little different than that. And then I got a couple of really cool bugs from Etsy. These big stag Huge. beetles. 
<laughs> so big. <laughs> Those mandibles are like an inch long, but I was going to put a couple of them in the base, and then it was like, man, they're big. Like you said, <laughs> I could only get one of them on there, I think. We'll give it a shot and see. You know, basing is a whole nother project, but yeah, I'm excited to work on him the next, you know, three or four weeks. Hopefully have him ready for the new year and yeah. maybe take him to that RTT we're going to talk about in uh, in January. So that's my hobby. Pre-orders. Let's move on to that. We've got really the big things are AdMech and Necron. Dexes are going to be dropping here and pre-orders coming up this Saturday after Thanksgiving. Necron's got just an amazing line of characters. It, yeah, especially compared to that stupid cobblestone cape guy that I just did not like at all. These look really sharp. I, very, very nice. And yeah, just they're all remakes of mm -hmm. existing heroes, right? That's the... Yep. Okay, I wanted to make sure I caught all of that correctly. I was like, I'm pretty sure I've heard of all of these guys before. Yeah, I think they're all, yeah, updates, but very nice. I mean, it's very cool when you see an old thing like that get updated, as you said, and the only thing we got for AdMech is the stilt guy, and fine. Stilt sniper, fine. Good stuff. <laughs> so that's good for pre-orders. Drops. We know Cities in the Long Hunt dropped. We're talking about it right now. But the big news is the Legions Imperialis, which is, for those who are familiar or aren't with 40k Epic, it was basically these teeny tiny models. Like, the, the tanks were like a half an inch big, you know? And <laughs> the Marines were like eight or nine millimeters tall. It was just so silly, I always thought. And they had orcs. That was another big one. It just looked cool, though, on the board. And obviously, in like a one-by-one -one, like tray, you could get like a whole 3,000-point army in this thing. I think you mentioned it before when we were talking, but they also, the Titanicus stuff is kind of blended into this, too. Yeah, fully compatible. So you can do these huge epic-scale battles that, like... <sighs> There are some people that collect their 40K to the scale where, you know, they can play full-size, quote-unquote, Imperialis. But this gives more people the opportunity to play those real crazy mega games at what amounts to a fraction of the cost. You know, considering that Warlord Titans are a down payment on a car. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, because I know the Warhounds are about an inch and a half tall. They're pretty big, and I've seen those with the other stuff. I'm happy for the heresy folks that we know and new people who maybe have hesitated to, you know, put down the money and the time to build and paint an actual heresy army. This is another way to play heresy. So I think that's really, really cool that they've kind of revived it and focused on that one side of the hobby. So those are the big drops of the previews. Well, mm. man, oh, there was a Necron Time Lord that looked very, very cool. I know we've seen him before, though. But this, like I think you said, this is this is also one of those updates. We have Asmodai for Dark Angels, which is very cool. And then they have some... Yeah, the new Deathwing, Deathwing. Knights. Yeah, that's very cool. We saw like a sneak peek at Dawnbringers 4. That'll be the Death Book. And then the big thing was seeing the new Flesh Eater Quartz Tome and the new models for it. That that Summer King is just monstrous, like He's literally. <laughs> but he looks amazing. And, of course, they do it again to Cavalryman Dan. They had to get some kind of mounted things for Flesh Eater Quartz. So they had these really cool ghouls on bats. It's like, yeah, I, oh God, I can already picture... You know, like three or four terror geists and a bunch of these little dudes running around. Uh, but 
whatever. Yeah, just what I need to be thinking about. It would that they look good, and the other models look great too. New characters and stuff like that. Very, very. Yeah. Sharp. So all of that is new. I was scrolling through the photos of everything. The ghouls with weapons, I thought were going to be one to one replacements of ghouls, and I was going to be like, oh well, you know the. 120 that I have painted, I'll you <laughs> sure. know I'll work them into other units or something, or you know I'll put them on square bases and go play old world a little bit. Mm-hmm. No, there are in the photos that I've seen the old ghoul models and these new you know ghouls with weapons. My gut tells me that they're keeping both. Oh, so they're going to be kind of a new, like an almost an elite ghoul unit. Yeah. Kind of- that is what I think is going to happen here. And, you know, maybe the old ghouls get phased out at some point. But, no, I was fully expecting to see mm. no ghouls. But, you know, scrolling Hello. through pictures, they're present in multiple places. So sure. That certainly makes me think that, you know, it wasn't an accidental part of the photo and that, you know, it, it's, it's intentional, I think, right. at that point. All right. So that's the good news with the cannibals. And then uh, we have a Cruel Boys warband they showed off, which looked nice. We have assault marines for the heresy folks. We had a Necromunda vehicle. It was like an enforcer kind of car kind of thing, you know, desert car, whatever. They had a Night Lord's kill team they shut off, which looked really sharp. That was really cool. Ooh, good, good uh, models. Then the last one is I wanted your opinion on this next thing. So they showed an old world Tomb King model, and it looked really, really good. Yeah, so first off, it's huge. I saw the picture of it when I got home. I still have some old square bases that, like, I use for as, like, painting palettes to do, like, a little bit of, like, you know, mixing and, and things like yeah, that. And, sure. and it looks like it's the size of, you know, some of the very large rectangles. This model is going to be very large. For you AOS players, not a lot of work to turn it into a zombie dragon for your Soulblight Gravelords. Mm. It wouldn't be too hard. Uh, but it's really cool. This is probably the coolest preview that we've seen for Warhammer Old World. Mm. I've really been enjoying the rules previews that they've been doing. Warhammer Fantasy is the game of Warhammer that like I really fell in love with. I played 40K, I really enjoyed 40K, but like I loved fantasy. And mm. you know, some of it's the yeah. setting, some of it's the rules, and sure. so seeing that it's really cool. I'm really excited for Old World to actually launch because I'm I'd be really looking forward to Seeing what I still have on squares and, you know, figuring out how to put an army together and and get some games in and, you know, I hope that it is for Old World what Horus Heresy was, kind of that older edition of 40K that I grew up with and really liked. Okay. Well, here's fingers crossed for you. So, all right. That's all the release stuff. We got games played other than Sigmar. So I had a question for you. You've really, really been enjoying Cyberpunk. Mm -hmm. And... Have you seen Ghost in the Shell? I assume you had, but uh, the yeah, movie Garjo. I, I have. I guess one of the few movies I've seen when people ask me, "Oh, have you seen this or have you seen that?" <laughs> and most of the time, I just stare at them blankly and go, "I've never even heard of it." Uh, <laughs> it's just that I was watching it for the umpteenth time. I, I can't even remember how many times I watched it now. But it, I was just thinking of you and thinking of the cyberpunk game because it just the coloring. The atmosphere, everything, you know, all the cyber enhancements that people were getting and stuff just seem very much on target with the game you love. I've still been really enjoying the Phantom Liberty download and, you know, the 2.0 patch and everything. I've just been kind of working my way through it. I finally have met the kind of like big bad of Mm. the DLC or at least the guy who they're, you know, telling you is the bad guy. But 
so much of the Phantom Liberty DLC is all about just deception and intrigue and mystery and, you know, who's really pulling the strings and what's real and what's not. You meet him and you're like, okay, like, he's a mean guy, right? Like, don't get me wrong on that, but, you know, you go like, this dude just seems like he just wants to be left alone. Mm-hmm. Been very enjoyable so far. Have that, you know, play a game of Madden or two, you know, whenever I get little bored and just need to kill like an hour or something like that but they had realms of ruin video oh, game yes. worlds on yep. display and like a station where you could go play it i didn't have time to you know go over there and play it but i'm probably gonna watch some videos and and see what it's like because like obviously it's a setting i'm interested in and sure i'm all in on the warhammer lifestyle <laughs> well <laughs> You say that? I was kind of interested that Nighthaunt is one of the factions. I'm not going to play it. I don't think I'll play it. But I just saw the graphics and stuff, and it looked really, really amazing. Uh, haven't been a Nighthaunt player, so. All right. I've done Starfield. a couple of Starfield sessions. Yeah, because I always need an hour and a half to two hours to get that done. I have not really enjoyed the main quest. I've been doing a lot of like pirate clearing from dis- different systems. I love going in and just clearing it because every time you do that, you have some local fleet or the the grand, you know, confederation or whatever that's in all these planets and they always thank you for helping out and stuff like that. But it's just, it's cool and it's satisfying to get rid of these boneheads. I've almost completed my fourth planetary survey, which is cool. And people are like, oh my God, only four. There's like hundreds of, yeah, I get it. But it's very satisfying because it's a lot more work than you think it is to get everything. And the final thing is that I actually added a pod to my... Your base? My base, yeah, on the one planet. I actually put up some wind turbines, which look really cool. That's fun. Just to have kind of, you know, notched it up a little bit so it's actually livable. I actually have furniture and stuff inside and everything. And I actually put a guard gun like a sentry turret outside and i actually put a robot that like patrols outside too so nobody's gonna mess with this thing but it's it's been very fun dark tide so is like will the ai like try and mess with it or whatever you don't or? know because there are times yes that these pirate guys there's like three or four factions of them they'll just show up on a planet and if they see something they like they go after it and mm. i've seen them do that to other people so i was like you know what i'm going to take some precautions just to make sure because if it's only four or five of them then the robot and the sentry turtle will be plenty and then i have been playing some dark tide it's kind of my version of madden where if i get like half an hour or something i just knock out a scenario and it's just fun and mindless and great yeah uh, Done some sieve, trying to mix it up there to make it and keep it interesting. Just, it's just such a wonderful game. And then I am prepping for Ultimate General American Revolution. Almost ready to drop coin on that. It is by the same people who did that game I talked about, Ultimate Admiral Age of Sail, when I completed the British campaign. And the ground combat is very similar. It's the same type of thing. The sea combat, which in the American Revolution, you're not going to get a whole lot of that because British Navy, hello. It just looks fascinating, and it's got a really neat mix of strategic versus tactical parts of the game, where you do have a lot of logistical management and upgrading your army and your weapons and things like that, and it it tied together when I saw really nicely events from the real American Revolution, like one of the first battles you you're almost pushed into fighting is Lexington and Conquered, and you're going, oh, geez, you know, that's like, I'm going to lose, well... That's not how it worked in real life. Like the British outnumbered the Americans initially and they kind of 
historically held them off, but then this huge amount of like militiamen came in and were able to push the British out and the British had to retreat, you know, back to Boston. I saw the guy playing the game. I'm like, that just looks amazing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Sigmar games. Well, you spent four days rolling dice. Good yeah, gosh. Yeah. Uh, and so we'll talk about that probably next episode. And then for events, we've cleared the queue that we had actually for this year anyway. All things are completed. And then we've got some stuff coming up. I know in January again will be the next RTT down at Warp Storm, which I'm hopefully going to be around for that. That'll be great. I won't be traveling or anything. And you've got a couple of events coming up early in the year, don't you? Yeah. So I'm already signed up for Nashville teams in February. So that is February 10th and 11th. And then the weekend before that is Brewhammer in Columbus. I'm going to try and get tickets for that now that I'm much, much closer to it. I'd never gone before because it was a hike. You know, now it's in my neck of the woods. So I got that <laughs> going. Cool. And then obviously we'll have Adepticon signups, you know, oh, yeah. go come up at, at some point here, you know, in the expected near future. So, yes, you've got the Warp Storm January 6th, right? Yeah, something like that. I think it's the first week. And then I think Ike is going to be running a free con that month, too. So hopefully they're not going to conflict weekend-wise. And I can get down to that again and do some more historical stuff, which would be very cool. Yeah, that'll be fun. Rock and roll, man. We're done with whispers. and moving mm-hmm. on to lies. Man, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. So, Brendan, The Long Hunt is Dawnbringer's three book. We're not going to talk about the lore too much, really, other than to say there's some pretty significant characters in there. Kragnos is in there. Uh, Corgus Call is in there. There are various Stormcast characters, including one we're going to talk about that has a war scroll in this particular book. Kragnos is uh, in it with the uh, Dragon Brothers, Karazai and Krondis, and... The, one, I think one of the best scenes when I was listening to Doug at 2 Plus Tough go through it, I guess Kragnos was literally just throttling Krondis, you know, <laughs> and just like choking him out. And I'm going, okay, I think this would have been a really different part of the story if that had been Karazai. Instead, <laughs> you pick on the wizard, like, okay, I get it. But it's more, you know, the Dawnbringers are running away from stuff and they're trying to fight and they're having a hard time. And there's also Ideneth in this thing and there's Ogre Maw tribes. There's just a lot of different parts and pieces moving, as always, in the stories. Very interesting, I thought. I thought it was more interesting than the last book, honestly, in terms of the lore. But check it out. Uh, and see you know, if you have an interest in where all this stuff we're talking about came from. So the first faction, Brendan, we're going to talk about, first army of renown, is the Draconith Skywing, right? This is the Stormcast Eternals one, and so every unit in this particular army of renown has to have the Stormcast Eternals keyword and the Draconith keyword, which is basically dragons. So Yeah. Krondis, <laughs> Karazai, you know, Stormjake Guard, and the... Single guy, Storm Drake, all those would be included. But that means that other than uh, Krondis, you don't have any wizards in this army, right? There's nothing. Yep, you've got Krondis, that's your one wizard, and then you've got Ionis, which is your one priest. Because yep. like, even things like Fulminators don't have the Draconith keywords. They are Dracoths. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, so a, a small but important difference yeah. in terms of what you have access to. So yeah. it's going to be a, an army full of monsters. It's going to be an army that flies 
And that's going to be pretty cool, right? Because that was one of the early armies of AOS 3. It was just they were too cheap and their rules were too good. Mm-hmm. Here is a dedicated specific army for building around very cool. dragons. So the first special rule is Draconeth Guardians. This is basically a bodyguard rule for Ionis. If he's within three inches of any Storm Drake guard, before you allocate a wound or mortal wound to him, or instead of making a ward roll for a wound or mortal wound that's allocated to him, you roll a dice on a four up. The wound or mortal wound is allocated to one of those friendly Storm Drake guard units. There you go. And then we have Exemplars of Fury. At the start of the combat phase, if there are two or more friendly Draconeth Skywing units within six inches of a friendly hero, add one to the attack's characteristic of melee weapons used by that hero's mount until the end of that phase. Okay, cool. And then we have Stormdrake Champions. For each Draconeth Skywing hero you include in your army, you can include one Stormdrake Guard unit that has one model. That Stormdrake Guard unit cannot have the battle line battlefield role. Cool. Oh, and we forgot to mention that Krondus, Karazai, and the Stormdrake Guard that have two models are all Battleline in this. So the two big dragons are Battleline. Cool deal. We got some Thunderous Roars. Tell us about what's going on with that. Well, so first you have a heroic action. That's your Thunderous Roar. Mm -hmm. This is a heroic action where you pick one friendly Draconis Skywing hero and roll a dice. On a two-up until the end of that turn, enemy units within three inches of that hero cannot receive the Inspiring Presence command. Ouch. That's pretty good. It's a way of potentially messing with your opponent's turn, right? Because this is a heroic action that isn't restricted to just your hero phase. Yes. So if they're in combat with that hero and they and they know that if they want to stay there, you're going to be dealing a bunch of damage, you're not going to be able to inspiring presence them. Yep, it's very powerful. Right then now. we've got two monstrous rampages. Mm-hmm. The first one is stun. Pick one enemy unit within three inches of this unit and roll a dice. On a three-up, subtract one from wound rolls for attacks made by that unit in the following combat phase. Ouch. Yeah, that's a pretty solid one, right? You know, especially one of the battle traits that you would have been taking before is, in a regular Stormcast army, a minus one to wound for all your all your real big guys. And then, I believe, one of Krondus' spell has the ability to subtract one from hit rolls. You can really mess up one target's oh. ability to, wow. to do damage. You know, so think about Kragnos, right? You know, people are typically going to spend the all-out attack on him and go and put him at twos and twos. You know, getting to threes and threes is not a pleasant experience, right? That's a major reduction in expected output. Sure. Or if you're picking a regular unit that's normally threes and threes, bumping it up to fours and fours. I mean, that's, you know, all of a sudden you're ghouls, right? Like, that's nothing (laughs) special to write home about. Yeah, there you go. And then the last one, Impact Tremors. Pick one enemy unit within three inches of this unit, roll a dice on a three-up in the following combat phase. Models in that unit can only move up to one inch when they make a pylon move instead of up to three. Yeah, I mean, that's good, right? It has no impact on something that's, you know, that is outside of that three-inch range. Something Um, that would have, like, a six-inch pylon that's going to... But if you are within three and you do have a six-inch pylon, it gets bumped down to, you know, one inch. Wow, okay. You know, that's pretty good. Helpful tactical note there, okay. All right, we got stuffs on the next page, all the kit that comes with this particular army right now. We got a command trait. After this general has fought for the first time in the combat phase, if there are no enemy units within three inches of this general, roll a dice on a two-up. This general can immediately make a D6 move and can finish that move within three inches of any enemy units. Ooh, wow. Okay. Yeah, not bad. That could be pretty significant if you, you roll decent and you plan your positioning correctly. 
it's a battle tactic denier, potentially, for some folks. It's also helping you move in the direction of things you want to do, you know, to go grab an objective or just something, you know, tie up a unit that didn't want to be tied up. And because it's after this general's fought for the first time in that combat phase, like, you can tag a unit that then has to potentially fight. If you have a very tanky hero, you're not mm. too worried about taking the damage, but you can force them to maybe not be exactly where they want to be. Okay. Then we have a cool spell lore. It's Regal Authority is a spell that has a casting value of 7 and range of 18, and Krondis would be casting this, of course. Yep. If successfully cast, pick one friendly Draconith unit, wholly within range, visible to caster. Until the start of your next hero phase, each time that unit issues a command, roll a dice. On a 5-up, you do not spend a command point. Very cool. Saves you command points over the course of the game. Nothing bad about that. Nope. What about the artifact? you want to talk about that one? Yep. So the Celestium Ensig, once per battle at the start of any phase, the bearer can say that they will raise their Celestial Ensign, and if they do so, you can heal up to D3 wounds allocated to each mm-hmm. friendly Dracneath unit wholly within 9 inches of the bearer. Cumulatively, that could be worthwhile. Yeah, that's, I, that's fine. Especially if you need to be healing out of phase or something like mm-hmm. that, or... You, know, you need to prep for a big charge that your opponent is going to try and land. Like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's the start of any phase, too. So anytime mm-hmm. during the game. And then we have three prayers. So one of these is pretty, yep. and you pretty only, amazing. Yeah, you've only got one priest. That's <laughs> Ionis. So yeah. pick wisely. Why don't you talk um, about the one you like? The Sovereignty, isn't it? Yeah, Sovereignty. That has an answer value of 4 and a range of 12 inches. If answered, pick one enemy unit within range. Until the start of your next hero phase, that <laughs> unit counts as a maximum of 5 models for the purposes of contesting objectives. Oh, God. Oh, that's so good. Hey, Giant, no. Yeah, yes, it's for Giants, but it's, oh. you know, I think more importantly for something like uh, oh. some of these Horde armies, right? Like a unit Where, of 20 or 30, that, yeah. Or like a unit of... 60 clan rats or 60 zombies yeah where like yeah like you can do damage as, as a stormcast player but to clear 60 like you're gonna have to commit a huge chunk of your army or just send karazai in there and and let him do his tail whip attack at you know 50 attacks but sure, sure. i mean or you could just send a one unit of storm drake guard over there to go touch the objective and now it's your 10 to their five sure that's obviously very impactful yeah so it's a four but so what because Ionis has a way to deal with that. Yep, so. <laughs> exactly. You're missing out on the ability to take the priest reroll command traits because you don't have a natural priest, right? Because this is an army of renown. So if, if you have units that don't meet that keyword, too bad, so sad, you can't take that unit. Okay. Yeah. We have two others then. We have Sigmar's Grace, which is a prayer that has two more. Answer. Yeah, two more. And Sigmar's Grace is a. Answer value of 3, range of 12. If answered, pick one friendly unit wholly within range of visible to the caster. You can heal up the three wounds allocated to that unit. Nice. Excellent. And then the last one is Sanctification. It has an answer value of 4 if it's answered until the start of your next hero phase. Subtract one from casting rolls for enemy wizards and one from chanting rolls for enemy priests. I mean, there's no limit to that. So, like, if you do that, that's every enemy wizard and priest on the board. Yeah, it's like, wow, that's actually pretty good, too. That's amazing, especially with priests. Because a lot of these prayers have, you know, answer values of three. If you kick that up to four, that's a significant difference. Absolutely. Um, 100% is. Wow. Okay. It's a bummer that it's locked away here in the Drak in the Skywing. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) That is a prayer that I feel like regular Stormcast would love 
to have access to to help them out with some of their tougher matchups, right? Because one of the biggest weaknesses of Stormcast is they don't like eating mortal wounds. You know, they're pretty mm-hmm. elite. They can get ward saves, mm-hmm. but making it more difficult for your opponent to pray and cast spells, you know, means that you're reducing their ability typically to be able to, you know, throw some damage your way. Okay. Then we have a grand strat, Wings of Death. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy for three friendly Draconith units are wholly within nine inches of each other. Don't hate that one. As long as you're keeping your stuff alive, that should be pretty doable. Yeah, if you're not getting smacked around too much. And then we have three battle tactics. Why don't you talk yep. about those? So the first one is Concentrated Force. You complete this tactic if the same enemy unit was targeted by attacks made with melee weapons by three or more friendly Draconith Skywind units in the same combat phase. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty doable. Yep. You, know, you just got to be careful to not overkill it with the first two units. But you know, there's obviously ways to tag units and allocate attacks where um, that's not too difficult. And as you pointed out earlier when we were talking that it just has to be targeted. Like, yep. that's it. They don't even have to be successful. It just If they're targeted, that counts. I charge you with, you know, three different units of Stormdrake Guard. This unit hits you with one sword attack. This unit hits you with one sword attack. This unit hits you with one sword attack. That's a really good time to target that unit that, you know, is part of this battle tactic with the monstrous action where they can only pile on one inch so there's not yeah. going to be any pile away shenanigans sure. um now obviously if you charge them right it's just not possible to get away but you can definitely ensure that that's the case how about that next one focus destruction you complete this tactic if the same enemy unit was picked as the target of three different monstrous actions again just has to be picked doesn't have to be successful carried out by friendly dragon skywing units in this turn so even if you roll a one or a two on the three ups you're good it doesn't yep. matter. Okay, sure. Boom, that's two out of five. <laughs> Gosh. And then the last one? The Cleansing Strike. Pick two objectives that are contested by enemy units. You complete this tactic if there are no enemy units contesting either objective at the end of this turn. That one can be kind of difficult depending on you know where those objectives are and how much is left. Right. But there's absolutely a time and a place during the game where that is a imminently achievable tactic and where you feel pretty good about you know, getting that one done. That's pretty good. The trouble with this army uh, above all is you're really going to struggle with model count. Mm. Stormdrake Guard don't do tons and tons and tons of damage. They're more of an anvil in terms of gameplay than anything else. You know, they'll pin you down. They're pretty tough to move, but it's interesting, right? Like I think this is squarely in the, you know, the happy Trug region where it's an army of renown that is interesting. It's something that I think you should think about, but it's not so crazy that you're playing this over a Stormcast army inherently. Okay. Because, you know, you can take all of these things still in a Stormdrake army, or a, a Stormcast army, but obviously not all of it's necessarily going to be battle line unless you take the right heroes to, to sure. do it. All right. And then we have my guy Ionis. Oh, this model is just yeah so amazing. And Ionis is... 14 down to 8 move, 16 wounds, 3 up save, 9 bravery. He has the Spirit Scouring Flames, which is 12-inch range attack, 9 attacks, 3 by 3 is minus 2, and 1 damage, 
Brendan, why don't you explain how this works in terms of the special rule for it? Yeah, so the shooting profile itself in a vacuum would be pretty good enough, mm-hmm. but the Spirit Scouring Flames is each time a wound caused by an attack made with the Spirit Scouring Flames is allocated to an enemy unit, that unit is soul burned. At the end of each hero phase, both yours and your opponents, roll a dice for each soul burn unit. If the roll is equal to or less than the number of the current battle round, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. So obviously as the game goes on, it's more likely that it happens every hero phase. Mm -hmm. When a player uses an ability that allows them to heal any wounds that have been allocated to a unit, instead of healing any wounds allocated to a soul burn unit, that unit is no longer soul burned. (laughs) Brett is like, that is so good. First of all, you could just, like, with nine attacks, you could spread that out and you could just force this huge number of enemy units, I mean, relatively large number of enemy yeah. units to roll that dice every single turn. And there are a lot of armies that don't have a lot of healing. They're just going to be running around taking this chip damage every single turn and they have no way to stop it. And he's just going to keep spewing fire out on these people. So I think that is just so cool. Cumulatively, that's really good. And then, yeah, you know, the, thankfully it doesn't stack, right? You know, so well, you can't be like Silver and two, oh, and you know, taking two D three mortal wounds because that 3D3 would be three and yeah, <laughs> roll a number of D three equal to the battle round. Oh yes, that that would just be nuts. Then. Yeah, okay. no, 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 we we don't have hurricanes here. <laughs> and then the other thing I think is so cool is that it negates healing spells. Like you know, I'm just thinking of the Sylvaneth healing spell that can bring back D six. Wounds, you know, it's sometimes it's really important, especially in my Oaken Brow, that was really good. This just turns that off essentially because I'll roll the dice, but it doesn't matter. No matter what it is, I I don't get those wounds. But yeah, if you had a tree lord who's, you know, out away from the trees and it, you know, isn't able to heal and, you know, your one bet is the spell, then yeah, you know, that sorry, all you're doing is just getting rid of soul burn and that's that, Chief. And I'm still here and I'm gonna do it again. (laughs) Oh my gosh. All right. So that is very, very cool. And then he has three other melee profiles, one, two, and three inch range on these. So the soul breakers, the the one inch, four attacks, three by threes, minus one, two damage. Then we have the Ancient Claws. It doesn't look like he has claws. Oh, that's the dragon. I'm sorry. Rage is two inches. Ancient Claws, five attacks, three by three is minus two, two. So it's minus two ren now. Yeah. And then we have Time Worn Fangs, three inch range, two attacks, three by threes, minus three and three damage. So he could do some work here. Man, that's really good. Yeah, the really Ren good. tables on the last attack, but, yep. you know, attacks that start at Ren are pretty good. So after six wounds, he goes down to two, but he doesn't go down to one until he's almost dead. Anyway, that's the weapons stuff. Draconic Horror. Enemy units cannot receive the rally or inspiring presence commands while they're within 12 inches of this unit. That's a 24-inch bubble, man. That is just obnoxious. Yeah, wow. I mean, it's, he's basically like an endless spell because most things that negate it that are on War Scrolls mm-hmm. are, you know, mm-hmm. three inches. You know, it's so like while you're in combat with that unit, you know, you can't X, Y, Z or whatever. To have a hero rolling around with a bubble of you can't do that, like that, that's pretty good. Yeah, no kidding. And then Scry Intent, subtract one from the attacks characteristic of melee weapons that target this unit to a minimum of one. It's pretty good. Yeah. You get a unit of 10 somethings that have two attacks apiece. Uh, no, thank you. That's a big impact. Yeah. He has no ward save, but man, that'll go a long way. And then the other thing here, why don't you talk about this one? Because this is so cool that we actually have a priest that can do this. On now. dragon. <laughs> a priest on yeah. dragon, yeah. 
He's an archer lictor, and in your hero phase, this unit can chant two prayers that it knows instead of one. <sighs> At the start of your hero phase, you must say how many prayers this unit will chant. If you say one, when it chants that prayer, it is automatically answered with a chanting roll of six, and no additional prayers may be chanted. If you say two, make chanting rolls for both prayers as normal. At the start of the enemy hero phase, you can pick one endless spell or invocation within 12 inches of this unit and roll a dice, and on a two-up, that endless spell is dispelled or the invocation banished. So this refer back to the prayers that we talked about. The one you really like, sovereignty, auto, boom, done. Like, yeah. Answer value of four, sanctification to subtract one from casting and chanting rolls, boom, done, auto. Oh, man, that is so good. A lot of value in just that one, you know, block of words there. Yeah. And you and I had talked about this. As far as we know, this is the only character in the game that is naturally a mm -hmm. uh, two-chant priest. Mm -hmm. There are ways to, you know, make characters multiple chanting priests, but this is the only one that we can think of that is just natural too. Yeah, so. so cool. And okay, now, so this next rule is Lightning Tempest. This is a prayer has an answer value of three. And so as though spirit scouring flames were not enough to do D3 mortal wounds, we have this thing. So answer value three, range of 18. Pick an enemy unit within range. That unit struck by lightning and suffers D3 mortal wounds. Okay, another D3 mortal wounds. Then roll a dice. On a one or two, nothing happens. On a three up, pick another unit within three inches. They take D3. Another unit is close within three inches. Pick that one, roll a three up. That one takes D3. It keeps going until there's no other units within three of somebody who's been struck by lightning. He can potentially just be a mortal wound factory. If you're rolling right, it's just yeah. the, the potential's really, really good. Wow. I, I love this guy. He's 400 points, so he's alliable. Yes. I was thinking about this exact character paired with the Zenestra from the oh, yeah. Cities of Sigmar who hands oh, yeah, out... Yeah basically for free D3 mortal wounds to all priests and enemy wizards on the table. And then, you know, you chuck in some soul burns or you chuck down a lightning tempest and you just nuke all of the small wound characters Oof. out of the game. Yeah. Right away is not possible, but certainly very quickly. This is really, we're going to talk about Belthanos later, but I, it's just a crazy list, man. I was thinking of is putting Belthanos and Ionis in the same list. It would be fun. I don't know how competitive it would be, but it would be super fun. And the other thing about him is, is he kind of slots in anywhere because he doesn't lose anything if you put him as an ally because there's no synergies with any other things other than himself. You know, there's not going to be an extra prayer that he knows, right? He's stuck knowing only Lightning Tempest and the two generics that everybody knows, right? right? Your equivalent of Mystic Shield and all that, which is fine. You know, you're definitely losing out on the Arch Relictor portion of, right. of his War Scroll. That's true. Um, Although the Endless Spell and Invocation piece is yeah. really powerful too. You're playing a corn army and you don't have any priests, which a lot of people don't. You're like, oh, geez, they're the bleeding eyes. I can't do anything about them. Oh, wait a minute, I can. Very cool. Love this guy. All right, Brendan, let's move on to the last thing. We have a warband. Yep, a regiment of renown. Yep. The Black Talons. If you take the regiment, like you can just take the regular war scrolls as regular war scrolls. Mm -hmm. But if you can take all of them in an order army, as long as your general is a stormcast, and then you take the regiments, all of the Black Talons get a ward save of a six plus while mm -hmm. they're in the regiment of renown. First up is... 
Neve Black Talon, mm-hmm. uh, the regiment's renown is named after. Six wounds, eight inch move, three up save, bravery ten. Keyworded lock to Hammers of Sigmar. As far as rules, if you're going to take her in a Stormcast army, has her Bolt Storm pistol, 12 inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage one. Whirlwind axes, two inch range, seven attacks, twos by threes, rend two, damage two. That's pretty good. Wow. And you add one of the damage characters of this unit's whirlwind axes for attacks that target an enemy hero. Right, Jesus. so it bumps it up to damage three. That's insane potential. Ouch, um, man. Yeah. Holy much. Your ceiling cap there is 21 damage, which isn't unrealistic to potentially, you know, get seven attacks down through wounds right at twos and threes. It's not impossible. Right. Um, unlikely, but, you know, not impossible. Neath can also run and still shoot and or charge later in the turn. Mm-hmm. And then she's a wind rider in your combat phase. Immediately after this unit is fought and slain models, if any have been removed from play, you can roll a dice. On a two-up, remove this unit from the battlefield and set it up again more than three inches from all enemy units and wholly within three inches of a friendly Black Talons unit that is more than three inches from all enemy units. So there's two units on the battlefield where that's going to be the case. Lorai and Neve's companions are your potential teleport to locations. Okay. And then we have her companions. You want to talk about those? Yeah. The companions are three wounds, four-inch move, three-up save, bravery nine. Hendrick the Silver Wolf is armed with the Cyclone Sword and Axe. The Sword and Axe is one inch range, six attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage one. Rostus Oxenhammer is armed with a Storm Charged Warhammer, which is two inch range, four attacks, threes by twos, rend two, damage two. And then Shikana Golden Blade is armed with the Typhoon Crossbow, which, when you're targeting an enemy hero, is 18 inch range, one attacks, twos by threes, rend three, damage three. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's 18-inch range, six attacks, threes by threes, round one, damage one. And then she's also accompanied by her Star Eagle, which is combat profile, one-inch range, two attacks, fours by threes, no rend, damage one. The unit is elite, to the surprise of no one. And then they are the Shield of Azir. If a friendly Black Talons hero, which is Lorai or uh, Neve is within three inches of this unit before you allocate a wound or mortal wound to that hero, or instead of making a ward roll for a wound or mortal wound, would be allocated that hero, roll a dice, and on a two-up, that wound or mortal wound is allocated to this unit instead of the hero and cannot be negated. Pretty all right unit, right? You know, that that's nine nine extra wounds <laughs> that you've got just standing around. At three um, up, yeah, not bad. Yeah, on a three up, the combat profile's not bad. I don't think you're taking them specifically because of how much damage they can do. No. And then, Dan, we've got yeah, a Deepkin lovely. hero yeah. that hangs out with them. Another uh, I love this, yeah. 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 Freaking um, so she is uh, five wounds, six inch move, four up save, bravery eight, has the abyssal touch, one inch range, four attacks, threes by threes, no rend damage one, has the aquatic illusions rule, you subtract one from hit rolls for combat attack that target this unit gift of the depths this unit has a ward of a five up and then she's got a spell nebulous sea fog casting value of a six if cast until the start of your next hero phase the shooting attacks that target the black talons units that are wholly within six inches of lori only score a hit on an unmodified roll of six that's all right they're not cheap 340 Um, points yeah so i don't know that you're gonna see them a lot it can be a tall order in terms of just how many points they are and what you get for it. I think there are other regiments of renown where you're better served taking them. Like, you know, for instance, the Sylvaneth one, right, where you get an Archrev, you get a bunch of Gossamids. Like, yeah. you get more out of taking 
that one than this one. Sure. That's yeah. all the new Stormcast stuff here in book three, an army of renown that I'm pretty positive on, yeah. and a regiment of renown that is very narrative. How about that? Uh, yeah, and a hero that I'm really high on, Love Ionis. Uh, yeah, yep. so that's all the Stormcast stuff, and we will move on. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. Lights on, numbers moving. There we go, the four magic words. It is time, my friend, to move on to Ogre Maw Tribes. The Roving Maw. Oof, man, oh man. So without giving too much away, I think this is the best army of renown in this mm. particular book. Mm-hmm. None of them being expeditionary force, but I think this one lands in the very happy Trug King Broad Stomp <laughs> okay. area of rules. So Fair. For you competitive people, this is the one I'd tune into most. I'm not saying the Stormwing isn't, you know, competitive, but, you know, you don't typically win games with all dragons anymore, especially when you're being incentivized to run the real, real big ones. Sure. This is Maw Tribes, and the keyword has to be either Gutbusters or Gorger. And if it is one of those two, you're good to go. And why don't you talk to us about this insane, stupid piece of faction terrain? Yeah, so if you play the Roving Maw, you take a Maw Pit instead of the Maw Pot. Instead of a mobile kitchen, you take this Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the Maw Pit itself, and actually you can take it in a regular Ogre Maw Tribes army, but you have to take it in a Roving Maw Pit. Mm -hmm. So the setup's the same, right? Wholly within your territory, more than three inches from everything. It's defensible, and you can put one keyworded butcher into there, and Mm -hmm. that is referred to as the Head Butcher. Uh, for the purposes of reading this war scroll. Mm-hmm. And it has the rule, the throat of Gerb. At the end of the charge phase, the player whose turn is taking place must roll a dice for each unit in their army that is within 12 inches of this terrain feature and within 12 inches of any units in their opponent's army, more than three inches from all units in their opponent's army, so things that aren't in combat. On a three-up, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. This is going to be your trade-off component for impact hits, because that's something that you lose by taking this army. If this terrain feature has a head butcher, this ability affects units within 18 inches of this terrain feature. Instead of 12 inches, this ability has no effect on keyworded gutbusters units, right? So at the end of the charge phase, if you're within 12 inches or 18 inches with the head butcher and you're not in combat, on a 3-up you take D3 mortal wounds, right? So pretty good chip damage. It happens on both turns, and it's a pretty big area. You know, you're going to say to yourself, well, that's just going to be a target for monsters to smash it to rubble. And we'll get to that. And I don't think many people are going to try to. I don't need that. Um, <laughs> no, this so is brutal. Man. If you have a head butcher garrisoning this in the hero phase, you can say that it will make an offering to the mob pot. If you do so, pick an enemy unit with an 18 in this uh, train feature and roll a d6. If the roll is more than twice that enemy unit's wound characteristic, one model in that unit is slain. Throws more than three times that enemy wound characteristic, three models in that unit are slain. Okay. That's really good against the little stuff, but, you know, like, that's not necessarily a reason to keep a head butcher in the maw pit. You're really taking it for the expanded mortal wound range. And then this terrain fights back. This is nuts. This rule. If this terrain, yeah, if this terrain feature is picked <laughs> as a target of Smash to Rubble monstrous action or monstrous rampage and the rampage is unsuccessful, the monster that is carrying out that rampage suffers 3d6 mortal wounds. Brendan, just think about that. Like, you have a one out of three chance of taking. 3d6 mortal wounds yeah and the average roll is like 11 you know oh my 
God, why would you even bother? The risk is just so much greater than the reward, don't you think? Yeah, if you're getting smoked by those D3 mortal wounds, you gotta try. I suppose. But for most monsters, the threat of taking 3D6 mortal wounds is absolutely not acceptable in regards to what the return is. <laughs> when I read that, I had to read it a couple times and going, that is not real. Oh yeah, it says 3D6 right there on the page. And as long as you're in combat, you know, you're not affected by the maw pit damage. So just get in combat. Right. Easier said than done on some days, but... Sure. Crazy rule. But it's cool. I think it's fine. So maybe it would be tougher for that uh, dragon army of renown to have three models living at the end of the game <laughs> if they keep trying to blow this thing up. <laughs> I think if you keep trying to blow it up, you're in trouble because it, it means that you kept losing and you keep losing monsters. Yes. But, you know, 3d6 damage can, you know, basically kill a unit of dragons. All right, um, man. Yeah, so the rules that you actually get for taking this army, right? You, know, the, you take the Maw Pit, and the Maw Pits of Girth, the start of each battle round, after determining which player will take the first turn, you must determine the hunger status of the Maw Pits on the battlefield, right? So you key multiple Maw Pits by rolling 2d6. If you included a Maw Pit in your army, add the number of models slain by its head butcher ability during the battle to the roll. You know, so if you're playing a, a Horde army, like, this ticks up pretty quickly, right? Because rolling triple of a one wound model is not mm -hmm. hard mm -hmm. add one to the roll if the maw pit is garrisoned by a head butcher add one to the roll then pick one from the results of the maw pit table that has a score equal to or less than your roll and apply it for the battle round a unit is vulnerable to the maw pits if it is on the battlefield unless it is wholly within one inch of a terrain feature and that is not a maw pit or it can fly this ability has no effect on the roving maw unit so no effect on your folks if you're wholly within one you're safe if you fly, you're also safe. So, so Nighthawk don't care about this. Unfortunately, no. The entire army doesn't care about this at all. Yeah. On a 2 to 3, <clears throat> no effect. On a 4 to 5, subtract 1 from the bravery characteristics of units that are vulnerable to the maw pits. Okay. On a 6 through 8, rumbling, roll a dice for each unit that is vulnerable to the maw pits. On a 5 up, that unit suffers one mortal wound. I would just knock it down to the bravery one. On a 9 to 11, famished units that are vulnerable to the Moppets that do not have the hero keyword cannot issue commands. That's Ooh. really good. Wow, yeah. How many people send units out on their own because they have a unit champion or are elite and, you know, let them be self-sufficient on an objective? Mm-hmm. That's bad news. And then 12 plus ravenous, roll a dice for each unit that is vulnerable to the Moppets. On a 4-up, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. That's okay. You know, it's another source of chip, but... Only heroes can issue commands is backbreaking for some armies. Sure. For some armies, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Giants. But yeah, the whole Draconith army, all of Night Haunts, don't care about this. Which is kind of a bummer, but you know, it's what it is. Right. Then we have Butcher's Kitchen rule. For each Butcher included in your army, you can include one Gorger's unit as a battle line unit. Okay. And we'll talk about Gorger's in a minute. We have Ravenous Brutes. If a friendly Ogre unit is more than three inches from all enemy units. It's Oh, this is the one right out of their book, isn't it? The Ravenous yeah. Brutes? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if they're more than three inches, they're hungry. If they're less, if they're closer than three inches, they're eating. Add two inches to the move characteristics. If they're hungry, add two to the bravery if they're eating. I even yep. remember you using that. So uh, then we have Might Makes Right. For the purposes of contesting objectives, each friendly ogre counts as two models. Each friendly hero that is not a monster counts as five. Awesome. Goblin Bites at the end of the combat phase. Roll a dice for each enemy unit within three inches of any friendly Gutbusters units on a two-up. 
that enemy unit suffers D3 plus one mortal wounds. Cool. That's pretty good, right? You you lose your impact hits, but that's a really nice mortal wound trade-off, right? Because you're either going to be doing damage from the maw pit, doing mortal wounds to everything nearby, or they're going to be in combat and you're getting a chunky bitten out of your... <laughs> you know, just for avoiding the maw pit damage, and there is no escape. And then gorgers in this army that are not wholly within one inch of a friendly terrain feature at the start of your charge phase can attempt to charge even if they ran in the same turn. Mm. So, okay. And speaking of them, why don't we talk about gorgers? You now have two choices of gorgers. You have the single model, which are just gorgers, but you also now have the gorger maw pack, which is the Warcry Warband, and also the unit that's really they're trying to center around this. And there so are the five gor- models in this unit for 220 yes. points. Okay. All right, five. Uh, they're five wounds apiece, six-inch yep. move, six-up save, bravery, eight. They have the Gutbusters keyword, which is important because I'm pretty sure the single gorgers do not. Okay. They have bone-shattering strikes, two-inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, rend one damage, two. One in every five is a clawback. You add one of the attacks characteristics to the shattering strikes, and that clawback can issue commands to the unit. Mm-hmm. One in every five is a cave howler. Cave Howlers have Agonizing Roar. Roll a dice each time an enemy unit receives a command within 12 inches of a friendly Cave Howler. On a 5-up, that command is not received. The ability still counts as having been used, and the command point that was spent to issue that command is lost. They are Ambushing Hunters. So during deployment, instead of setting up this unit on the battlefield, you can say to set up an Ambushers Reserve unit. If you do so at the end of your movement phase, you can set up this unit on the battlefield more than 9 inches from all enemy units. And it's got the Gorger keyword... So that means that it is able to run and charge as long as you aren't fully with one of terrain. So that's, wow. that's pretty good. Yeah. They're interesting. I don't know that they're better than, you know, a unit of six gluttons. Mm. It's another unit to have, right? It's new Gorger models, which is nice and lovely and perfect. Yep. Because the old ones are, they are old, man. <laughs> Then obviously in doing so, you have a whole set of enhancements. So the command trait you have to take is the general is Prime Gut Server. This general knows all <laughs> the spells from the lore of the Great Maw in addition to any other spells that they know. The lore of the Great Maw is the lore that comes specifically with this sub-faction. So yeah. just like all the other armies of renown, you lose everything from the book, but you gain a whole new set of abilities that are available only to you. Mm-hmm. And the names of these things are just... Wonderful. They're just so creative. (laughs) So the artifact is the flask of congealed maw juices. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Once per battle at the start of your hero phase, you can pick one maw pit in your army that's within nine inches of the bearer and that has been affected by a rule that says you cannot use the scenery rules on its war scroll, such as smashed rubble, and roll a dice. On a two-up, the maw pit is no longer affected by that rule. You can use this. Okay, so you go through all that trouble... I'm trying to kill that sucker, man. And then, boom, this is it. The guy just rolls a dice on a two-up, back. Mop it back <laughs> online. It's like, why even bother? That is just so crazy, right? Oh, my God. That is nuts. That's pretty cool. I yeah, think that's great. really the first kind of artifact we've seen like that. I think the most similar one is the Acorn of the Ages. Mm-hmm. But that's very different in, you know, mm-hmm. intent and also what the trees do for the army. Where Sure. You know, the singular Moppet is the core of what this army is supposed to revolve around. Sure. That is just so frustrating, though. <laughs> God. 
crazy stuff. So then, <laughs> yeah, so then jumping cool. over to the spell lore, you know, Oof. talking about crazy things. You have Maw Meat is the first spell. Uh, casting value is 6, range of 18. If successfully cast, pick one terrain feature within range, invisible to caster. For the rest of the battle, units on or within one inch of that terrain feature are vulnerable to Maw Pits. <laughs> so that means you Nighthawk models can't hide. You become vulnerable to the Maw Pit as long as you're near that terrain feature. Then we have Retcher, is a spell that has a casting value of 7 if successfully cast until your next hero phase. Improve the red characteristic of melee weapons used by the caster by 2. That's yeah, okay. I, you know, your caster's only going to be a butcher, but the Slaughtermaster also has the butcher keyword, mm. and he's got like 2d6 attacks. Mm. Bumping up that range, not bad. Hmm. Not bad at all. As though we needed better names, the Oful Bringer, this is great, is a spell. Has a casting value of 6, range 12. If you cast it, pick one enemy unit within range, invisible of caster. Your opponent must make a move up to 6 inches with that unit. All the models in that unit must finish the move as close as possible to the caster and can finish that move within 3 inches. If it is impossible for that unit to move, it suffers D3 mortals instead. After that unit is moved, if it is within three inches of the caster and the caster is within six inches of a maw pit in your army, you can immediately use the head butcher ability in your maw pit. But you have to target the enemy unit. Cool. Situational. So what about tactics and grand strats here? Yep, so you get three tactics and the one grand strategy. So the tactics... Uh, you complete this tactic if any enemy models were slain by the Maw Pit's Head Butcher ability in this turn. That's a tactic that, if you're using it on the right thing, is completed on a 2-up, you because know, you're going to be picking some 1-wound models. Pretty good. Because yep. right? it's not mortal wounds, it's just slain, so you don't have to worry about your opponent rolling ward saves to save them. They just, mm -hmm. if you hit that roll, they die. Then we have Slavering Ambush. You complete this tactic if a friendly Gorgeous unit was set up on the battlefield using the Ambushing Hunter's ability and made a charge move this turn. Don't super love that one, right? It's a command ability that you're worried about, you Got know, it. landing a nine-inch charge on. Obviously not impossible, but I wouldn't be placing any bets on that one. To count your tactic on that, that's a pretty big risk, yeah. Yeah. And then we eat at them all. You pick one objective controlled by your opponent. You complete this tactic if you control that objective at the end of this turn, and there are no enemy models contesting it. It's certainly doable if you set it up right. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And what about that grand strat? Yeah, so still not satisfied. When the battle ends, you complete this strategy if six or more enemy models were slain by the Maw Pots, a head butcher ability. Which, you know, as we talked about, right, is you roll dice for enemy units and, and you try and beat their wounds characters can toss them in. I wouldn't take that strictly on the fact <clears throat> that, like, there are so many armies that exist in the meta, you know, first and foremost being giants. They but, laugh, you know, like, yeah. Iron Jaws aren't going to bring any, you know too many models that you're going to be able to take you know good cracks at for getting them tossed into the maw pit like that that is not something that i would prioritize in terms of a grand strategy that i would take mm. the access to all of the mortal wounds is pretty good obviously with maw tribes one of the ways around it is to charge the maw tribes units you don't have to worry about impact hits but here you know that's not the case you know you're you're never going to take as many in an individual go, but every combat phase you're taking D3 plus one, or you know in the charge phase you're going to be taking D3. Like there's not really any way around avoiding damage from the roving maw army, which is good. You know that's you know from the perspective of the ogre player, it forces your opponent to have to do something, do anything, and sure. in all cases there is damage. Okay. 
all roads lead to mortal wounds. Yeah, that is the truth in this game. All right, so that's it for ogres. Let's move on to our little fire slayer friends. They have yeah, an army of renown. This, this one is this temper, one to me. Temper your expectations. Is very bad. fun if you're playing against monsters. There's some really fun stuff in here. But it's super, super targeted, at least in my opinion. And we'll, we'll see what goes on here. So yeah. we have uh, every unit in your army must have the Fire Slayer's keyword. Okay. And unique units can only be included if they have the Lofnir keyword, which, strangely enough, our battle scroll that goes with this particular army renown does have. The battle traits, the first one is Daring Tamers. The strike last effect applies to enemy monster units while they're wholly within three inches of two or more friendly Vulcan Flame Seeker units, which we're going to talk about. Pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Make all the enemy monsters strike last. Yeah. If your opponent doesn't have a whole lot of monsters, then that's the way that goes. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then we have Honorbound Drothmasters. Friendly Vulcan Flame Seeker units have the battle line battlefield role. Cool. In addition, for each Vulcan Flame Seekers unit included in your army, you can include one Auric Rune Sun on a Magma Droth as a battle line unit. That is cool. Having a Magma Droth as battle line. Very yeah, cool. Yeah, normally you would have to play the sub-faction that is all mm -hmm. Magma Droths all the time yep. to make that happen. So that is neat. That is very cool. Flame-filled Beasts, you can pick up three Droth Keepers units in your army to have mount traits instead of one, which is very, very cool. And conveniently enough, there are three mount traits for this particular army of renown. Imagine that. Mm. <laughs> it seems like a strange coincidence to me, but hey, I'm not a rules writer, so. All right, and then we had uh, skilled Droth Wranglers once per turn in your movement phase. You can pick one friendly Flame Seekers unit, wholly within. This is cool. This is kind of like the Gun Haul, the Flame Seekers version of Gun Hauler Teleport, is what this is, essentially. It's exactly the same thing, but it's limited to the right. unit that you can take, and right. it's subjectively worse. Yeah. The mechanic is the same. I guess I should say that. You can take one Flame Seekers unit wholly within six inches of a friendly Magma Droth that has not yet moved in that phase, and say it will hitch a lift on the Magma Droth. If you do so, after you move the Magma Droth, instead of making a move with that unit, remove it from the battlefield, set it up again on the battlefield wholly within six inches of the Magma Droth, more than three inches from all enemy units. It's fun. If this was opened up to, like, even just Vulkites, I think that makes this army viable as something that people would want to play. Because one, one of the big problems, right, with Fire Slayers is how stinking slow the army is. Yeah, I mean, oh my sure. goodness. You do get three monstrous rampages, mm -hmm. which that's always interesting. So the first of which is... Rearing punches, pick one enemy unit within three inches of this unit, roll two dice, add two to each roll if that unit is a monster. For each five up, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. So on three ups, you're doing D3 mortal wounds with each of those dice to monsters. Okay. So that's not bad. Brendan, how about the next one, Magma-Fueled Grasp? So Magma-Fueled Grasp, pick one enemy monster within three in this unit, roll a dice. On a three up, improve the Ren characteristic of the melee weapons used by friendly by other friendly Lofnir Droth Keepers units that target that monster by one in the following combat phase. That's pretty good, right? You send in your Magma Droth, you know, you have it basically distract, you know, the monster, and then anybody in your army gets an extra point of rend against it as long as they're targeting that, so... What's that last monstrous rampage? This one's pretty good. So Eruption of Ferocity, pick one enemy unit within three inches of this unit and roll a dice. On a two-up, ward rolls cannot be made for models in that unit in the following combat phase. 
And cool. I mean, you know, ward rolls, Dan, are so important to so many armies. You know, whenever I ask you, you know, what would you like for this army to have? And you always go, a better ward safe. And I go, <laughs> Dan, you can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I'm playing this army, I can go, well, if I can't, you can't either. Yeah. <laughs> that's quite good on the two up. That's yeah, really good. So that, that's three really solid monstrous rampages, which is, you know, good, right? So mm-hmm. they're trying to incentivize you to, to run some magma droughts. You know, they're trying to incentivize you to run the very specific Vulcan flame seekers, which unfortunately don't have the right keywords for some other buffs in the army, which is really where unfortunately this, yeah. where this house of cards kind of falls apart. But you know, like on the surface in terms of what you're given on the battle trait section, it's not bad. Now let's come over and talk about enhancements. Okay. How about the command trait? You get the one raised around beasts. Improve the rend characteristics of melee weapons used by friendly Lofnir Droth Keeper units that do not have the Magma Droth keyword that are wholly within nine to this general by two if the target is a monster. This command trait is useless if your opponent has no monsters. Has no monsters. <laughs> right? So talk about uh, right the grand strategy in the Maw Pit one where we go, oh, well, you know, I just wouldn't take that one. You know, if I'm playing this army, right, because there's so many things available. You have to go to your generic commands that are right. available, like, you know, the core rules. Yeah. And that is such a feels-bad experience because those are more about, like, buffing a single character or something like that. Sure. Whereas, like, you, know, you would really hope that your army ones are better. This is the first of several areas here that monster keyword comes into place. And if, as you just said, your opponent doesn't have monsters or a whole lot of them, a lot of these rules and a lot of these special, you know, artifacts and things like that just don't work. Yep. It's unfortunate. Like, this would be an incredible sub-faction circa 2021. Mm. I mean, truly, truly excellent. But the reality is, is that currently most armies that you're going to play in a game of Age of Sigmar don't have mm-hmm. a ton of monsters, unless you're going to draw into, you know, a you know broad stomp, in which case... You're loving life. This is great. We're going to be realistic here for a second. <laughs> You're going to play a lot of armies that don't. How dare you be honest like that? God. This is a podcast, man. You can't be doing that. I know. All right. There are, as we mentioned earlier, three mount traits, which is cool. And you could take one of each, really. The pack droth is the first one in your movement phase before this unit makes a move. You can pick one friendly flamesinger unit to hitch a ride. On the Magma Droth, even if another unit has already hitched a lift on a Magma Droth in the same phase. Cool. The same unit cannot hitch a lift on a Magma Droth more than once per phase, and multiple units cannot hitch a lift on the same Magma Droth in the same phase. It just gives you another... It lets you bring two units in the movement phase. Right. Cool. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yep. Then you've got Red Hot Fury. At the end of the enemy charge phase, before carrying out monsters or rampages, if this unit is more than three inches from all enemy units, it can attempt to charge. It must finish the charge move within half an inch of an enemy unit that is itself within three inches of a friendly Vulcan Slap Flame Seekers Kindle Draw. <laughs> that situation right there. Like, if you just leave it at you get counter charge, cool. But you have to finish the charge move within half an inch of an enemy unit that is within three inches of a very specific kind of model in a very specific kind of units. Mm-hmm. Like, you can take other things, right? You don't have to just take Flame Seekers. You don't just have to take Magma Droths. But for this mount trait to work, you need to keep that Magma Droth near mm-hmm. 
that right. unit of flame seekers. You you have to like otherwise it's just a waste of a mount trait. It doesn't do anything for you. In the last one, if the target is a monster, <clears throat> okay, sure. What if it isn't? Well, then this doesn't apply, does it? The damage characteristic of these units, Blazing Maw, is three instead of D three. Okay. Yeah, that's good when that situation comes up. Yep. And we have an artifact, mastery over monsters. Okay, here we go again. Well. <laughs> While the bear is contesting an objective, each enemy monster contesting that objective, that is monsters only, counts as two models, regardless of any other abilities that would allow the enemy monster to count as more models. Now, as you just said, if you come up against giants, this is just fantastical. I mean. This army is an incredible counter to Sons of Bayamut. Like, it's awesome. Your it's giant incredible. counts as two models. That's almost, You just want to laugh when you think about that. And my nine little flame seeker guys count as more models than your giant. It's just so cool. That is amazing. However. Yeah. However. <laughs> it is incredibly situational. All right. Then battle tactics and... Grandstrat. So the first one is circle the magma droths. You complete this tactic if at the end of this turn any friendly Lofnir Droth Keeper units are within six inches of the center of the battlefield, and there are one or more Lofnir Droth Keepers units wholly within each large quarter of the battlefield. <sighs> God, that reads like a grand strategy. Not impossible, but that is I don't know. Maybe one for later, I guess. I suppose. Then we have the sulfur seam. Pick one objective that's partially or wholly within enemy territory, and one terrain feature or faction terrain feature that is partially or wholly within enemy territory and more than three inches from that objective. You complete this tactic if you control both that objective and the terrain feature at the end of the turn. Next, Just make it one of those. Next in line. <laughs> uh. You're right, exactly. Can I get four points for this one if I get it? Uh. And your last one is Igneous Wranglers. Pick one objective partially or wholly within enemy territory and one other objective anywhere on the battlefield. You complete this tactic if you control both objectives at the end of this turn, and both are contested by friendly Vulcan Flame Seekers. Now, thankfully, they don't have to be contested by, like, enemies first. So, like, mm -hmm. this one is super doable. It goes later. But, like, here's the thing with Fire Slayers. Part of their problem is the book tactics aren't incredible. Mm -hmm. And that's not even relevant here, but you know that's part of the problem that exists right now. These battle tactics are not particularly very good, mm -hmm. and you have no wizards, meaning that you know a full like three battle tactics in the current edition are yes. largely out of reach. You know, meaning that you are going to have to mm -hmm. take an allied wizard in a regular fire slayers army, which you can't do here. There's all of six battle tactics that you can maybe achieve realistically over the course of the game. Yeah, and you need like, to get five of them to be competitive. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, now, yeah. thankfully, the grand strategy is very good. Mm -hmm. Because you clear the corral. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if there are no enemy monsters in your territory. Oh, well, that's Which doable. we just talked about, as there aren't very many monsters, and your army is tooled up to fight them. So, you know... That one's very viable, actually. That one is super doable. Yep. All yeah. Right. Well, at least you'll get your three points. That's important. <laughs> yeah. Even if you don't it, get many of your battle tactics. At least you'll get your ranch strat. I had a lot of frustration reading this one the same way I read the Grunta Stampede sub-faction, mm. where it's just like, what is the point of this? Like, right. you know, we do need to talk about the new unit that comes along yeah. with this particular yeah. army, the Vulcan Flame Seekers. Yeah, cool. So they themselves are not bad. They're two wounds apiece, four-inch move, five-up save, bravery eight. 
They have the fire steel throwing axes, eight inch range, one attack, fours by fours, no rend damage one. They have their Vulcan fire steel weapon, two inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, no rend damage one. And then the Kindle Droth is going to have the Ember Teeth, one inch range, one attack, threes by threes, no rend damage one. You know, fine. Your Vulcan Rune Father adds one to the attack characteristic and is the unit champion. One in every nine models is a Droth Master. One in every nine is a Kindle Droth. While this unit includes a Droth Master, enemy monsters in three inches of this unit cannot carry out monstrous rampages. <laughs> awesome. That is so good. <laughs> Super good rule. That's unfortunate. <laughs> yep. The Kindle Droth, at the end of the combat phase, you pick one enemy unit within one inch of this unit's Kindle Droth and roll two dice. For each four up, the enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. That's fine. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Their keyword locked to Lofnir, which is interesting, right? Because they're a Warcry Warband. So you would think that they'd be whatever. You can obviously take them in any Fire Slayer's army, but they're not going to gain mm-hmm. you know, benefits unless they're in a Lofnir subfaction or a Lofnir Drothcaster. The thing that's such a bummer here is they don't have the right keywords to get buffs from a lot of the heroes, right? They are still mm-hmm. Fire Slayers, so mm-hmm. you know they, they would get those things, but... The flame keeper keyword doesn't work there, right? They're not the right kind of thing to do that. Now, and then, Brendan, if you included them in a regular Fire Slayer's army, they could still get that turn off the monstrous rampages, right? Yeah, that would yeah, still yeah. be part of it. Okay, you can still use them for something like that. Okay, all right, absolutely. And they're 140 points in battle line in a Lofnir army. Like this is legitimately a decent unit. I love these models. They're the best ones that they've done for Fire Slayers, for sure. Yeah, Um, so cool. Well, that leaves us with one (laughs) that we have to talk about, which is genuinely the one we're most excited about to talk about because of the hero that includes. The sub-faction is interesting. It's here in the pages. So it's the Evergreen Hunt. Every unit in this particular army renowned has to have the Sylvaneth keyword, duh. And you can take Archrev's Kurnoth Hunters, so bows, sides, or swords. You can take Rev Seekers or Lancers, and that's it. Those mm-hmm. are the units you're restricted to. You notice in that there are no spellcasters in there. Unless you give, like, the Archrev artifact. Now, you could give him an artifact, right? You could give him the... You can arcane give them an arcane tome. tome okay, but... but otherwise, there's no magic users at all here. Nope. There's oh. also no screens, and that's a big deal. That hurts, yeah. Yeah, you can't even take freaking uh, tree revs or anything in this. That's nope. this brutal. Nope, nope, nope. That's ultimately the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the first special rule here in the battle traits is if you don't have the hero keyword, your battle line, period. So all the flies, all the kurnoths, Boom. All battle line, which is very cool. It's also very necessary because otherwise this army doesn't work. <laughs> right. And then rhythm of the chase after deployment before the players have determined who will take the first turn. You can pick one enemy unit on the battlefield to be the quarry. This is a big mechanic here. Huge thing. Yeah, it's basically <clears throat> how the whole army of renown works. Right. If the quarry is destroyed at the start of your next hero phase, you can pick an enemy unit on the battlefield to be the new quarry. And then we have the harmonies because the Sylvaneth are all about magical music and all that stuff. So at the start of each battle round, after the priority roll has been made, each player commanding an evergreen hunt army must determine their hunting harmony for the battle round. That's for the whole battle round, starting with the player taking the first turn. A hunting harmony is made up of a number of chords. Of course it is. You start with one chord and receive one for the following. Belthanos on the battlefield gets you one. For each evergreen hunt unit that's holy within the same large quarter as the quarry, 
and each quarry destroyed during the battle. So the way I'm reading that, Brendan, for it says each evergreen hunt unit wholly within the same large quarter. The quarry doesn't need to be wholly within the quarter, just the hunt unit has to be wholly within the quarter. Yeah, so for right. each friendly evergreen hunt unit wholly within the same large quarter of the battlefield as the quarry. So if the quarry is in two different quarters... Yeah, you just kind of have to pick which one you're going to be in, is what it is. And then each quarry destroyed during the battle, that would be five of them, right? Because you pick one every battle round. Well, if they're destroyed, oh. and then there's heroic action that we can right. we'll talk, talk about. about. Yeah, but So add up the number of cords you received, consult the table... There's always a table. These effects are cumulative. If you have six cords, all the effects apply. And hunting cords are lost at the end of each battle round. So the first one is none. You get nothing, of course. If you have one, add one to run and charge rolls for friendly units wholly within the same large battle quarter uh, as the quarry. Two, it's tuneful. Add one to the hit and wound rolls. Perfect for attacks made with melee weapons that target an enemy unit wholly within the same large quarter of the battlefield as the quarry. So that's anybody, not just the quarry. And then three to five, you add one to the attacks characteristic of melee weapons used by friendly units while they're within three inches of the quarry. So this seems to be at the point, if you can get three... That's pretty amazing. You're adding one to your hit, wound, and attacks. Wow. That's crazy. That is pretty good. <laughs> That's something else. So then the last one is, while a friendly unit wholly within the same quarter of the battlefield as the quarry, it is eligible to fight in the combat phase if it's within six inches of the quarry instead of three. And it can move an extra three inches when it piles in. Alrighty, Very cool. So funnily enough, that means that the bugs get a nine-inch pile-in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They still have to be within six, but right. their pile-in becomes a nine-inch pile That's crazy. It's <laughs> pretty cool. Which, yeah, that's... <laughs> it's really niche, right? The thing here that you're going to struggle with is basically having your opponent kind of cooperate with what you want to do during mm. the game, but them not cooperating, them maybe trying to hide that unit may also play into your strategy as a player so there are some definitely some things about this that i really struggle with in terms of you know saying that this is particularly good like if you can get it going obviously it's great right your current officer at basically everything in your army is going to be twos and twos you know with between three and five attacks sure you know the arch revenant hands out an additional attack command like you're in such great, incredible shape. Like if you can get to that plus one attack, yeah. Or if you're minus one to wound, I don't care because I'm plus two to wound cumulatively yeah. with all my effects. I just don't care. I'm still in a two up. The other thing, which is you have abundant growth, is what this particular army gets. So after territories are determined before faction terrain features are set up, you can pick three terrain features on the battlefield that are wholly outside enemy territory, those features are overgrown. That's exactly the same as it is in the normal book. At the start of your hero phase, you can heal one wound allocated to each friendly hunt unit that's wholly within nine inches of an overgrown terrain feature. So again, that's pretty much the same, but you lose all the tree stuff. Yeah, you lose all your teleporting, right? yeah. you lose all your spellcasters, you lose strike and fade, you lose teleport too, and you're thinking to yourself, how on earth does this work? Right, like the, mm. <laughs> like this is crazy. Belfinous. You know, my army is super slow, <laughs> unless I've got you know the bugs. Right, like how do I deliver this army? We'll get there eventually. Yeah, there's a particular character that's going to provide an answer to your interesting I've, question. This is the first army of renown that is built so specifically around one character. Yes. Yep. That it just doesn't work. 
if you play like without it. Yeah. Well, if like, he dies, your army is done. It's like somebody pulled the plug on your army. You better hope that you've delivered enough damage to different quarries and your army is right. where it needs to be. Right. Otherwise, yeah, you're in for a really bad rest of the game. Yeah. But you do pick up some heroic actions. Mm-hmm. The first one is the prize quarry sighted. Pick a friendly evergreen hunt hero and one enemy unit within nine inches of that hero. That enemy unit becomes the quarry instead of the enemy unit that was picked to be the quarry. Oh, um, man, that is so powerful because as you just mentioned, your opponent manipulating you know, and trying to move, you can just say, oops, sorry, I'm picking this, this unit now. This also means that you can get more than, right, the five that you talked about, because this yes. is a heroic action mm-hmm. that can be used whenever. So, you know, if that quarry was killed, you know, in the top of the turn, you don't have to wait until the next battle round to pick the next one. You could pick this quarry. You can pick this to be the new quarry, and that's going to mean that you can get, you know, two. You can get, you could get, it's very difficult to set up, you could potentially get three quarries in a battle round. You have to kill a unit sometime in the start of the hero phase. Mm -hmm. Very unlikely. Not impossible, but very unlikely. Then you heroic action to switch who you are. And, you know, you kill it then, and then in the next start of the hero phase, you you do it all over again. And or then the battle round flips. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, then the battle round flips, and you've got another one. So, you know, I was thinking this would be really good if you're locked in with a unit, say with a unit of Kurnoths, you know, and you're going to kill that unit. You know you're going to kill that unit. You just make that the quarry then. You know, if they're already in contact with it, you're like, oh, okay, that's going to be it right there. Yep. Because I know it's going to die. That's very powerful. Then we have Merciful Strike. If the quarry has any wounds allocated to it and it's within three inches of this unit, this is a monstrous rampage now, roll a dice and add the number of wounds allocated to the quarry to the roll. If the result is greater than the quarry's wound characteristic, one model in that unit is slain. I mean, this would be great if you have something big that's down to like one or two wounds maybe, then it's it's very usable. You know, and how many times have we done that where you've gotten somebody down to one or two and you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe that. This would put you over pro- very highly probable that you'd kill it with something like this. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Especially good against monsters, right? Because against smaller things, right, you're just better off with stomp or something like that. Right. This is for that killing blow, which is why it's called Merciful Strike. Duh. Okay. All right. Command trait. What do we got here? Yep, your one command trait, Sapwood Leader. When you use the Abundant Growth Battle Trait to heal the general, you can heal up to D3 wounds allocated to the general instead of one. Useful. Yeah. And you're going to take it. I mean, it's not like you're not going to take that one, right? You can have a look at the ones in the know, book that are core. I don't know that you're going to say, oh, I really need my general to be re-rolling charges. Right. <laughs> All right, so the next thing we have is uh, the Hunting Horn that Belthanos has. Once per battle, the start of the battle round... The bear can say that they will blow their uh, hunting horn. If they do so, you receive one additional hunting harmony cord for that battle round. It's fine. I mean, that's what you got. Could be useful. It could put you over the two to the three. I really like the idea of using it right at the start of the battle Mm -hmm. to put you in that two category. Mm -hmm. And then send your Spite Rider Lancers up to kill the first quarry to get you at two points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tucked right in there at two, yep. And then that locks you into a minimum one for the rest of the battle. Yep. And as long as your Balthanos is alive, you know that locks you in at two. <clears throat> that two to three category is where things really get crazy. But if, if you have one but not two, eh, it doesn't really... Right, right. Yeah. Right. That's a good yeah, point. It doesn't, Very good doesn't point. do a ton for you. Excellent. 
So battle tactics, we have three of those. Uh, trophy kill, you complete this tactic if the quarry was destroyed by an attack made with a melee weapon in this turn. <laughs> cool. That's literally like all you have except for, you know, whatever bow hunters you do or don't take. Right. Then we have encircled. You complete this tactic if at the end of this turn all friendly units are in the same large quarter of the battlefield as the quarry. Don't love that one, right? That one's kind no. of count- counterintuitive. That means your whole army is in the same quarter of the battlefield as the one unit that you're trying to kill, mm-hmm. and ideally you've killed it. Yep. Don't love that one. No. You know, the other thing here is you can get really distracted. I mean, the, the quarry piece and the hunting harmonies are really important, but you still got the rest of the enemy army you got to deal with. Yeah, you, you know? also have to play the game. Right, exactly. <laughs> you can't just focus on that one thing and expect to win. And then we have Spring the Trap. Okay, pronounce it right. You complete this battle tactic if four or more friendly units made a charge moving this turn and one or more of these units made an attack with a melee weapon that targeted the quarry in this turn. Like, really? Okay. Two of those three are just amazing. They're really, really easy. And that's perfect, right? Because you right. Know, just like what we're talking about with the, the Flame Seekers, yeah. where because you don't have any wizards, you're going to be trading off you know, a couple of those battle tactics that effectively become unachievable. Sure. Having some in your pocket that are very doable is good. Mm-hmm. And then your grand strategy, when the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if you've destroyed four or more quarries. It's not impossible. No, it might be tougher if you're playing Giants. Sure. To kill four. But otherwise, you know, again, that's that skew, you know, and I think it's yeah, very doable. Yeah, don't hate that one. You're probably off, again, better suited taking over Shadow. Basically, your whole army is battle line. Now, you're not going to have tons and tons of units, but basically your whole army is battle line. Yep. And it's still hard to rip through uh, 30 wounds worth of Kurnoth Hunters. Yeah, it's... it's really tough. All right. But we haven't gotten to the problem, Dan, of solving the delivery of this <clears throat> army. Yeah, so, and that's the issue. Why don't you tell us about Belthanus, Dan? Oh, man. Just so cool. So, 12-inch move. Okay, Dan, just get on with it. Okay, all right. (laughs) So, 12-inch move, 14 wounds, 3 of save, 9 bravery. Has two melee weapons. First, you have his glaive. The range of... Both of these are 2 inches and 4 attacks. Both these weapons. To hit is 2s down to 4s with the glaive. 3s to wound, minus 3, and 3 damage. So... Pretty respectable there. And then the mandibles and the legs of the Coolio beetle he's riding is a four up to hit, three up to wound, minus two. And damage goes from four down to two. So you have damage three and damage four. Eight attacks on this thing. And pretty easily, when you think about it, if you've got an archer of close, you could be down to twos and twos, threes and twos if you're using all that attack. I mean, you could really be rocking. You don't even need... Right, the command abilities, you just need to be at level three. Mm, right, and yeah, 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 absolutely, yep. You're thinking you're about thinking. You know, where the next half of this conversation is, which is how do you use them in a regular Sylvaneth army? That, that, you know, right, it, we'll talk about that when we get there, yeah, okay. So he can fly. He has a really cool rule, which is partially making up for that lack of trees here. So nature etheric, in your hero phase, your hero phase, so five times, you can pick one terrain feature within six inches of this unit and roll a dice. On the three up, pick one scenery rule for the mysterious terrain table to apply to that battlefield feature for, terrain feature for the rest of the battle. If that terrain feature already has a scenery rule, kick it out and replace it with the one you picked. That terrain feature is also considered by you to be an overgrown terrain feature. So now you have just added another overgrown 
to your army, which is yep. really, really good. That's so cool that you can just pick something and say, oh, it's Overguard now. Then we have Mantle of Leaves, and this is so powerful for this guy. He has a ward of five up. He's a three Woof. up, five up in a Sylvaneth <laughs> army. That's insane. Yeah. And having that Kurnoth Hunter's keyword, man, it's, uh, anyway, we, we, yeah, we're going to get there. Like I said, Dan, take your meds, man. You got, you got to calm down here. The Warhorn, friendly Sylvaneth units wholly within range of this ability can attempt to charge even if they ran in the same turn. It starts out at 18 and goes down tonight. Within 18 inches, yep. you can run and charge. Okay, Brendan, he's, let's talk about those Kurnoth Hunters. <laughs> Kurnoth hunters can run and charge. Your dragonflies can run and charge. Holy mother, that's insane. That is just so good. Wow. <clears throat> Be rolling a lot of run dice. I can say that. Yeah. Then finally we uh, have not bad at all. The unending hunt. You can use this command ability at the start of your movement phase. The unit that receives the command must be a friendly Sylvaneth unit. That unit can <laughs> retreat and still charge later in the turn. Sweetness. You know, one of the most frustrating things about playing specifically like Spite Rider Lancers is when you charge into something and get bogged down and or your opponent mm. charged into you and you're just kind of stuck there. Getting the strikes first on the Lancers specifically is, is so huge mm -hmm. or being able to retreat out with your Kurnoths mm -hmm. is so necessary. Like if you need to go hit something else now, they're not going to be able to jump over your opponent in any way shape or form you know certainly on their own but to be out of combat with something that is just a waste of time and to get into combat with something that matters that's a big deal he is just amazing for 360 points we'll start about talking about it with how it works in the hunt where obviously you don't have the ability to teleport places and so this is how you get your army in is you're going to take a mixture of some variety of, you know, bug riders and kernoths, or you don't have to. There's no requirement to, but I don't know why you wouldn't. Where your first wave is going to be getting the bugs in, doing a bunch of damage. You're going to be retreating. You're going to be charging. You're going to be pinning your opponent in and forcing them to fight, you know, kind of where they don't want to. Your kernoths, because you have no wizards, they're going to take a minute to get there, right? Their base movement five, even with a run, you know, you're expecting to move eight. You know, you get plus one to your run roll if you're in the same large territory as a quarry. That's very unlikely early in the game. So, you know, movement eight units, none of us really care about, right? Like, if we can't deliver them. Right. So your Kurnos are going to hit, you know, battle round two, three, and four. And by then you'll have probably taken some definite losses on your bugs. It's basically a two-wave army. Mm -hmm. Your bugs are first, your Kurnoths are next, or you just take all bugs and then it's all bugs all the time, which isn't a bad strategy just given how good the Revenant Seekers are, right, at returning things to mm -hmm. the battlefield. Not a bad unit to have in your pocket. This is really the model that makes the Evergreen Hunt work. Mm -hmm. If you don't take Balthanos, I don't really know how you get it done. But, as you have, listener, probably suspected, this model is incredible in just a regular sylvaneth army so let's um, start by doing something very obvious you take war singer mm -hmm. right and you're adding three inches to the move of everything within a certain distance of your general so now the unit gets plus three to move and it can run in charge man you can auto run that unit of 
punchy Kurnaws. So now, Brendan, you're up to, what, five plus three? You're up to 14 inches of movement plus your charging. Yep. Wow. If you do take Spite Swarm Hive and it gets off, that's great. That's even better. If not, see, here's the nice thing about this. You don't have to rely on the Spite Swarm Hive. That's the really beautiful thing. If it goes off, that's a bonus. If it doesn't go off, you don't care that you rolled that one because you're already moving these guys some insane amount of distance. You're also adding three inches to your your bugs, right? Your dragonflies. And, oh my gosh, it, it's just insane. That's the first thing that's insane about having Belthanos in a regular army. Yeah, the second thing that's insane is that you get to turn pieces of terrain <laughs> into other pieces of terrain. It's so nice. So it's like, okay, I didn't get that tree off. And how many times have you and I talked about, nope, I got one tree off the first four battle rounds, right? Yep, I, I, I I'm stuck wherever I am, and that's... <laughs> well, it was okay. You know why? Because Belthanos turned two other terrain features into Overgrown, and I can teleport to and from those now. It's yep. like, yeah, hello. <laughs> and the oh way gosh. I would probably start my game, I would very <laughs> likely, instead of taking a Warsong Revenant, I would mm -hmm. probably be taking yep. two Branch Witches... Mm -hmm. You know, as effectively a discount version, turning the tree that I'm starting in to Arcane, and I now effectively have a Warsong Revenant from a casting perspective right. at, yep. at a pretty good discount. Mm -hmm. um, again, obviously not the same, but it's not that different. You do that, you turn it into your casting castle, but then, you know, you just go mobile because you're not going to take Spellslinger. You're going to take Warsinger and you're going to oh, be yeah. moving around and you're going to be taking the fight to people and you still have your home base to come back to. I do still think that Spite Storm Hive absolutely has a place because mm -hmm. you can still use it as a launch pad for, you know, a Tree Lord or Durthu mm. to yeah. load it up with plus three, send it out somewhere have that three-inch charge, and then all while that's happening, you're fighting somewhere else with the Balthanos force, causing mischief and mayhem across the mortal realms. Well, like, here, and you mentioned Durthu. You know, this, again, is another deal with him. If he's moving 14 inches, right, because you're doing the same thing to him that you did to the Kurnoffs that I was talking about, his mobility is huge now. So why not take the Durthu? It's fine. You know, and again, if it doesn't go off, great. If it does go off, then teleport him and put him anywhere you want, essentially. That's so good. The really cool thing of having an Archrev following Belthanos around is really, really good to buff up those wound rolls, you know. You're not going to have the harmonies, but who cares? You're going to be wounding on twos. And that Archrev can keep up with the Belthanos yep. very easily. I don't see why you wouldn't do that considering how good Belthanos is. And his damage potential is very, very respectable. You can really punch a, at or above his weight. And he can take a punch back, which is the uh, best part. Well, it's right with that. You know, how easy is that going to be to make that a two-up, five-up? Belthanos isn't keyword locked, so you could take him in something like Oakenbrow. Yep. He's not going to get the benefits of being Oakenbrow, right? He's not a tree lord. Uh -huh. But, Dan, imagine just running and charging with, <laughs> with your Oakenbrow list, you know, that you've been playing for a while. That would be so amazing. <laughs> it, this one model opens up completely new list building strategies and completely new play styles oh gosh yes for the sylvaneth book it's a shame that he becomes a borderline must take because of how good he is well you know brendy you could argue that warsong was 
must take. I mean, you, yeah. how many, you, 99% of the list you saw there took a war song because you kind of had to. You know, now you've got an option, I think. As you pointed out, there's a cheap substitute that can still work out really well. And in addition to that spell casting, you've got Belthanos now on the board instead of the war song. You know what? He can move around the board too. He can teleport just like anybody else. <laughs> you know, which that's almost frightening to think about that you can move him around the board like that. Just so much potential here. Any closing thoughts on this book? Very happy that we didn't end up with a grand expeditionary force fiasco. Oh. We almost ended up with one because Belthanos has the Kurnoth Hunters keyword, yeah. which meant that Ilariel for you know all of 10 seconds could summon a Belthanos. That has since been <laughs> FAQ'd and works the way that you would want it to. If Ilariel could summon a Belthanos, every list would start including Ilariel because she would then come with a 360-point discount mm-hmm. because you also have Belthanos for free. So thankfully, it's, that's not how that works. You have, I think, two real middle-of-the-road sub-factions or you know, kind of aim towards the lower end. The Evergreen Hunt I don't think is especially good. Nope. No screens, no wizards. That's too high of a mountain to climb i think like i'm gonna try it out like i'm gonna see you know how it plays Mm -hmm. i have a ton of bugs i have a Mm -hmm. ton of kernoff hunters like yep you know that might be a one day rtt thing and just you know just see what i can do you know see if there is maybe something that i'm neglecting there but you know that and the droth flame seekers i don't think are really anything the maw pack i think is something that should absolutely be considered as an army to take and then the stormcast dragon one i think provide you some interesting choices i don't know that it falls into the category of competitive but i don't think that you would be unreasonable for thinking that you can absolutely take it to three and two at a gt and have a really fun time playing big stupid dragons and doing some cool stuff with it okay those are my thoughts obviously balthanos op yeah, for sure. And I think you can very reasonably expect his points to go up because at 360, like, that's really good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bargain. I have to agree with you. I'm really sorry that the Fire Slayers Army of Renown isn't a little more utilitarian because I really love the whole theme of, especially with those new models, paired up with the Magma Dross, which are just wonderful models. It's so cool. And- and if the game shifts where there's a ton of monsters running around, like mm-hmm. that sub-faction is going to become awesome like, yes. overnight. But I'm not going to hold my breath that that's the reality that's going to be undertaken. Right. We already saw the Monster General's Handbook, and we're not getting a General's Handbook again until July, and that's probably when 4th edition comes out. So yes. you know, who even knows what all that's going to look like? A bummer for Fire Slayers players, for sure. Their army's in a tough place. You know, certainly the hope would be that a armies of renown would would breathe some new life into the army the same way that King Broad Stomp did. Mm-hmm. That's my thoughts on the Droth Keepers. In terms of the Draken and Skywing, I just think it's so cool that Ionis is 400 points, so you could take him as an ally. Mm-hmm. I think it would be really fun to run an army with him and Belthanos. And I know there's no synergies or anything. <laughs> I just think the two models in one army would just be so cool. It, it just would... <laughs> I don't know. It, he's just a really, really solid war scroll. And, you know, the nice thing is he's, he's very, what am I thinking? He's very independent in terms of his rules. You know, he doesn't provide any real synergies anywhere 
but he's strong on his own no matter where he goes or what he does. And I think that's neat to have a war scroll like that for me. Sure. I, I see that. My feelings about the Evergreen Hunt, but Belthanos in particular, should be very obvious. Ogre Maw Tribes thing, I think it's great. I think it's neat that they have a, a terrain piece like that and that they can, you know, use gut busters so they can actually create a really cool army around this other than just the roving maw. I think either as individual rules or a set of rules in terms of the maw pit and those kind of things. I like this book. It's fine. I'm, I'm a little sad about the Magmadroth army, but otherwise there's a lot of good stuff to take out of here and put into the game and play in the game outside of just these armies of renown, which is really cool. We haven't seen, I mean, we got Ionis, we have the maw pit, and we have Belthanos that you can mm -hmm. take out and put somewhere else. And they can all be really effective. That we really haven't seen a whole lot of, where you have that many individual war scrolls that can be pulled out and dropped in somewhere and have a real big effect on an army that exists already. That's my thoughts yeah. on this. This was a good book. I'm very interested to see what they do for book four, which we'll mm -hmm. talk about probably at the show close, because that was something that was previewed a little bit. That's it then. Another Dawnbringers. Listeners, we are going to move on, and we are going to talk about reading and writing and arithmetic. Or, I mean, reading and <laughs> listening and watching. We'll be right back. Etc., etc., etc. It is scriptorium time. We have a few new releases. One of them related to our book that we talked about in Emperor Lies, and that is Black Talon. So it's a book about Neve, which is very cool. Gets her own Mortal Realms novel. That's awesome. We have the Temple of Silence, which is the Van Densed family, father and daughter witch hunters. They have a book. And then we have Sea of Souls, which is the seventh Dawn of Fire book, and that one is coming out as well. So those are all new releases since our last show. Brendan, over to you, buddy. Not much has changed in terms of what I've been listening to or, or watching. I'm in the final stretch of the Grant biography. They're closing out the last mm. year of his second term. Interesting thing about presidents, most of them don't live very long after their mm. second term, particularly in that time of uh, mm. American history. So I'm going to close that out. And I've already spent my credit, already downloaded The End of the Death, Volume 2. Oh, yeah. As soon as I'm done with Grant, we're over to that. I thought I'd bought some time with Grant, but not enough. Not enough. <laughs> we're closing in on that. So yeah, on that one. That's cool. Have you watched any more of The House of Usher, or was that over? Oh, I finished it, yeah. You finished it, okay. Ten episodes done. I think when we talked, I had, like, part of the last episode to watch. Okay. I might go back and watch it all again. It went very quick to see if there's things that I pick up on a second time through mm -hmm. that I maybe didn't the first. I got the express like feeling at the end of it that there was maybe things that like you could have seen or picked up on earlier that maybe makes it what's the right word? More sad in the way that it all turns out. Okay. Now like some of the foreshadowing was very heavy and like even me, Captain Idiot, was like <laughs> <laughs> oh, these things are all related. Yeah, I did really enjoy that. I would recommend, you know, the watch. Like, it ended well, and I really appreciated that. So, yeah. Well, as soon as I finish Expanse, it's on my watch list. So I'm going to start House of Usher when I finish. Oh, very yeah. cool. Yeah. That's it for me. Dead Tree book-wise, I got back in because I didn't... I hate leaving books unfinished. So I did finish my MacArthur Reconsidered book. I just would say that unless you're some kind of diehard MacArthur fan, 
you really should give it a listen or read it to get, I think, a more realistic perspective on who this individual was. I just think of all the lives that MacArthur's incompetence cost tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of lives for him to pursue his career and his image and tough read that way. But I'm glad I finished it and it was worthwhile for sure. I'm almost done with War of Words that I had talked about and it continues to be a fascinating book and very, very informative as well. In the audiobook realm, I finished Rose at War. I talked about that last time and how much I really, really enjoyed Emma Gregory's voicings and the stories were all great. Then, I don't know why I missed this, Brendan, but the 11th uh, Gaunt's Ghost book, Only in Death, had come out a little while ago and I had never listened to it. Of course, I've read all the books, but Toby Longworth just, you know, he's the guy and he does such a great job with them. This was no exception. Actually, Cindy was listening to it partway through it and it's always fun when she engages with a story and she starts asking questions stuff and she knows a lot about Gaunt's Ghost because she's listened to other books. That was really fun to have her kind of participate in those. The nice thing about this being the 11th book is there's only one more of the books, book 12, that needs to come out as an audiobook because 13 through 15 are already out. So once the next book is called Blood Pack, and once that one is listened to, then I can just jump right into the other three. I don't have to wait for them at all. Expanse is back on full burn. Dan is not a bad bear anymore. I have actually gotten back on the rowing machine. And because I'm batching it for a little while right now, so I'm like binging Brendan and watching like four or five episodes a day, man. It's not that much, but it's like two or three episodes every day. Because I'm watching like a dinner. It's like, oh, I'm going to watch Expanse or lunch. I'm like, oh, I'm going to sit down and watch. <laughs> you are enjoying the thing that I was, which is I can just listen to and watch whatever I want, whenever I want. Just yes. carry my phone or my TV around with me to a different part of the house and do this other thing. You know, like, I was telling Cindy, she's like, well, enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> it's like, I will. So yeah, just wonderful. I think I'm about halfway through season four now, so another two and a half to go. Then I actually was able to watch All the Light We Can not see which was that world war ii movie on netflix it actually is a four i thought it was just a single movie but it's actually a four part about an hour at a piece story of a young french girl and a young german man it's set right before the allies uh, they've liberated a lot of normandy but they're about to liberate the fortress city of saint malo where this French girl lives. She's running a kind of resistance radio station clandestinely in the town. And he is an expert at radios and radio direction finding. And so the German army wants him to find her. You're thinking like, what's the connection between these two just so totally different in their life experiences? And it's really cool how the story brings that connection and brings them together. It's very, very good. Then I found out that something called Masters of the Air is set for a release at the end of January now. And it is basically a story of the 8th Air Force by the same people that did Band of Brothers and the Pacific. So it is going to be really, really good, I am sure. And if you look at the trailer of it, it looks fantastic. I think it's interesting that just like where they picked Easy Company for Band of Brothers, they picked the 100th bomb group for the 8th Air Force. They were known as the Bloody 100th because their losses were insane. Like 40% or 45% 
losses during the war. There were a couple of raids they went on where they lost like half their aircraft or so. It's just nuts. But anyway, it looks like a really, really cool thing about the 8th Air Force. There are two books that I would recommend to listeners if they want to get an idea of what this might be about. The first one's called A Wing and a Prayer, and the other one is called Luck of the Draw. And they're specifically written by people who were in the, or the 100th Bomb Group. So it looks to be really, really worthwhile. We just had a little conversation. Napoleon's coming out this weekend, so looking forward to it. I know it'll be a very, very interesting movie. It's Ridley Scott. He just doesn't make a non-entertaining movie. If How accurate it is is up for a great debate, of course, but I've always enjoyed the Ridley Scott movies I have seen, starting with Blade Runner. It's the first movie I ever saw of his. Black Hawk Down. There's several other movies that you'll know that he has done. So I'm sure this will be epic, if nothing else. And then really good news is that the Dune release, which was moved from November up to April at one point, has now been moved back and it is going to be released in early March. First week in March. I think March 1st, in fact. So yeah, baby. Maybe the way we see it is at Adepticon then. Yes, I think maybe you and I should do that one night. Even if we're both exhausted, we should do that, Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? This sounds like a good Wednesday night. Hey, that's uh, an idea. Yeah, if we get there early enough, yeah, that's a great idea. We'll check that out as we get closer. Because when you and I saw it, it was at your house. We had to go to streaming to see uh, the first one. So yep, that would be really cool. Up on HBO. Yep, that is it for Scriptorium. We are moving on to this or that. Okay, Brandon, it's this or that time, and as usual, you uh, set the agenda. I'll ask first. Fair. Let's go around. Very few in the form of Warhammer. So the first one's going to be about the preview section. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that was announced, right, is book four for Dawnbringers. Mm-hmm. And book four is, they said, basically going to be the death Dawnbringers book. So mm. I don't think it's unreasonable to assume that we're going to see Dawnbringers items for probably everything but Flesh Eater Courts, maybe. Rather than ask you to try and tell me what Army of Renown is going to look like for all of the death books, what do you think the Army of Renown is going to look like for Night Haunt? Mm. Or what would you like it to look like? <clears throat> I would like to see horde army kind of mechanic okay i think that would be really interesting with a special character as we've gotten with a lot of these i think would be awesome and then somehow feed into some insane recursion where you can bring back a really scary amount of say chain rasts or something like that i think that would be pretty fun the other option for me is to make some kind of a cav army out of the hex rays yeah i think that would be really neat too so okay Next question here is based on what we talked about a little bit in the show. So we've now seen a number of different kinds of armies of renown. Which of the four would you like to play that's built around a special character? So that's the Trugs Trogherd, mm. the Evergreen Hunt, Broadstomp, or the Skywing. All four of those are built around a named character specifically. Which one of those four do you think would be most enjoyable for you to play? I think the dragon one would be cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you really seem to like Ionis. I, yeah, and I read his War Scroll, and the model is amazing. As you had mentioned, I would certainly like to try an Evergreen Hunt list just to see it work and what it does. But I don't plan on ever taking it to an event. I just don't. I, I can't see it being that fun to play because it takes away so much that make the Sylvaneth what they are. So yeah, I think it would be a Dragon Army with Ionis. Okay, so the Scriptorium section. I think anybody who's listened to this show more than once <laughs> knows that 
maybe hate's not the right word for MacArthur, but you hold a deep disdain yes. for him. And if he's not first place, who is the most disdained historical character in your mind? And if it is MacArthur, who's second? It used to be Montgomery, Bernard okay. Montgomery in the English Army in World War II. It used to be. Because I read a similar type of book about him that wasn't, you know, all fawning and, oh, he's so wonderful and everybody rationalizing all the screw-ups that he did. MacArthur, has, after my read, has gone to the top of the list. Okay. Especially, again, because of lives and his disdain for casualties. The other thing that really struck me, Brendan, was his disdain for his enemies. He had absolutely no respect for the Japanese or their capabilities. None. And the same thing happened in the Korean War. He was like, oh, the Chinese, they're not going to be anything. They're not going to do anything to us. Uh, hello. Like, wow. You know, how many lives did that cost? He's at the top with... So, yeah, so MacArthur's first, and then yeah. Montgomery is second yes. then? Yes, yes. Okay. All right. Over to sports. <laughs> yes, sir. Dan, your Naval Academy has had a pretty good season. They're 5-5. Five and five. Yes. 4-2 and two in the last six games. Yeah. They've actually found their quarterback, I think, which is really exciting now. So the most important thing for any college football fan that isn't, you know, one of these, like, national title contending mm -hmm. teams, is your team going to make a bowl, Dan? you got to win one game in mm -hmm. two. Yeah, I think they will. You okay. know, when months ago, when you asked me for my prediction, I think it was six and six. I think I was hoping they'd go 500 this year. New coach, they had three quarterbacks they had to figure out between, and I thought that was reasonable, and they very well could go six and six. I think they'll go to a bowl game. It won't be anything worthwhile, but at least they'll go, and I think that's really cool for a new coach. Kind of a new team in a lot of ways. Yeah, especially after what really the last two or three seasons have been. It's very refreshing, I'm sure. Yeah. And the key, again, has been finding that quarterback, finally. That's just so important. All right, okay. cool. And my last one, we're recording just before Thanksgiving. So, Dan, what is the best side for Thanksgiving? Okay. If, if you got to have one, what's the one you're going to have? Sure. I think stuffing. Okay. It's such an amazing food. You know, it's so good. I can't imagine eating Thanksgiving meal without... And turkey and stuff without stuffing. I could do without the cranberry stuff and the green beans and the mashies and stuff. I could do without all that, but I could never do without stuffing. Those are my five. Okay. First question, and I, I know you're a little bit jaded in this, but I wanted to ask anyway still from an okay. objective standpoint. Would you rather take Belthanos or Ionis to play a game with? The Ionis War Scroll is interesting. I think it's good. I I just love what Balthanos does for the Sylvaneth book. That's the model I'm most excited to put on the table because mm -hmm. even in a non-Evergreen hunt, an army that includes Balthanos with Sylvaneth can look really different from all the Sylvaneth lists that mm -hmm. I've run in the last you know year and a half or so. Mm -hmm. It's a real sea change for sure. This is the Brendan question that I'm going to ask okay. you. What are your hopes for the Dawnbringers 4 book? What is something you would really like? I would really like to see, out of the Osiarch Bone Reaper Army of Renown, a sub-faction. There are some units in the Bone Reaper book right now that don't see a ton of play. Okay. Mortec Guard, Catapults, Harvesters are probably playable right now with the continued points drops. Okay. I would really like to see... An army of renown that is like full Roman legion, right? Oh, where it's, cool. Where yeah. it's just a bunch of dudes. You've got your siege weapons behind you supporting mm -hmm. the advance. You can take an army where you 
don't want to necessarily take Catacros, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, an army where you don't necessarily want to take Arcan. And so in doing that, you probably need like a combat foot hero, like a liege Kavalos on foot, like a liege Mortek. Okay. Maybe the, the right nomenclature Fair. for it. Fair. The Nighthaunt one, I'd really like to see it built around like the Black Coach. Oh, that um, would be cool. Yeah, that's another Yeah, one. like an army of renown where like you go four black coaches. I know it feels <laughs> crazy. So cool. But something like yeah. that and then for I'm going to leave flesh eater courts out of it because like it's going to I don't want to see like an army of renown come out then the battle tome come out and like you just have invalidated something that's already come out, you know, here 10 seconds ago. Sure. For like Soulblight, that one's a lot tougher because all of the different legions within Soulblight play you know, very uniquely with all of the different units, right? You know, I think the path forward with the Army of Renown for Soulblight would be like a full mixed arms one where mm-hmm. like basically says for every Deadwalkers unit, you have to have one Death Rattle unit where it's forcing you to take a very specific balance of synergy, right? You know, a, a scales are balanced kind of death army. Okay. I think that would be neat. Awesome. Okay. Uh, we'll let Flesh Eater Courts be whatever their army book is going to be. Yep, which is coming out soon, hopefully. Okay, it's that time of year, a couple weeks. Army or Navy? Army looks terrible. Like, obviously you can throw the record out when those two teams play. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, I mean, they look completely out of sorts. The new offense that they've installed is not Mm -hmm. working the way that they'd hoped. Mm. It has some flashes where you go, like, okay, like, there's maybe something here, but there may be another two seasons away from getting it to work the way that they'd like it to. Okay. I'm going to take Navy. Okay, awesome. You're batching it, let's say, again. You're back okay. in those days. So you have a big casserole full of pasta bake, or you have a big pot of chili. Which would you rather have as, you know, that's your meal for the week? I'm not a chili guy at all. Don't particularly care for beans. Stews are really not my thing. It's the pasta bake all week for me. Okay. And then the last one. Would you prefer that the Bucks have a slow or a fast start to their season? Let's say the first... 25 to 30 games you want to see them go like 25 and 5 or would you rather have them go say you know 15 and 15 or 20 and 10 or something a little slower and then pick it up towards the end and have that momentum at the end i'd rather see a slower start because the only thing that really matters for that team is the playoffs it can't be so slow where you're like oh boy are you gonna like are you a play-in team but like it can be a slower start where you're like oh well you know they might not be the number one seed but they're still top four sure I think that's much more important. It's much more important to get it right and, you know, figure out all of the different little problems you run into as as a team like that, where well and truly the only thing that matters for that team is the playoffs. Okay, fair enough. That's it. Then we are moving on to closeout time. All right. There is something going on around here, something you may not even know about. There are no Sunday announcements because it's Tuesday. Yep. <laughs> Too bad, so sad. But we do have two Q&A questions, one for you and one for me from our young friend Ellis, who we All met right. a couple years ago at Youngbloods. His question for you is, if either Dame or Giannis gets seriously injured, do you think the Bucks have a chance of winning a chip, or do they need both of them to be out there? Oh, boy. N- number one, that's so far away. Because <laughs> we, we really don't even know if how healthy he is 
they don't even really know what defense they're playing right mm. now. It, it feels like it changes every night. <laughs> it feels like a couple of the defensive schemes are working a lot better than the others. You just got to put Brook and drop. They need to stop overthinking that. I don't think, at least from what we've seen, that this is a team that can win without the both of them. Now, it can be a situation where you can miss one of them for a little while, Okay. but I don't think you can win four rounds of the playoffs with no Dame or Giannis. I just don't see how they do it. We've obviously seen what those teams look like in terms of Portland was, you know, Dame only and Milwaukee pre-Drew where it was the Chris and Giannis show and that was not enough. I think you need that third wheel for the team to really go and what's been funny is that Giannis and Dame have on several occasions put up, you know, <laughs> something like 75% of the points and it's like jeez. <laughs> cool, that'll work. Okay, then my question was about Starfield, of all things. He said, what has been your favorite quest or quest line in Starfield so far? I think my favorite, there was a, a cooperative of settlers that sent a distress message to me. And I met with one of them, and he said that they're kind of all the pirates have knocked out our communication satellites and we can't communicate with each other to coordinate a defense. And the first thing you need to do is fix our satellites for us. So I went out, and of course each satellite was swarming with pirates. So I killed them, fixed the four satellites, came back, and then there were like five people there from different factions. And then the cool thing there is I've talked about the kind of negotiating or the conversational mechanic that goes on. That if you, you have all these responses and they drive the result one way or the other, so that you're responses have a consequence. They actually mean something. As they should. Yeah. And so I was able to talk them into coordinating with each other. And we ended up boarding the pirate, kind of their headquarters ship or whatever, taking them out. That was so cool. And the reason I liked that one so much, as opposed to a lot of the other side quests, is it just felt so altruistic. Like you didn't expect anything from it. You just felt like you were doing the right thing. And that's really cool in a role-playing game where like, oh, I'm not going for the treasure chest, or I'm not going for the artifact, or, oh, cool, how much am I going to get paid for this? You're just doing it because it feels like the right thing to do. And it was very rewarding. It was also complex. It wasn't just a simple go out and blow up the pirates. You had to do all these different steps, and each one of them you had to be successful. And so that's one that I really, really enjoyed to answer that question. All right, episode 134 is to be determined. I think certainly we're going to talk about worlds. We're going to talk about Rakheim <laughs> compared to worlds. It's like two events that we did both go to. You went for four days. I went for three. And I think we'll talk about that. And maybe there'll be another topic that we'll want to discuss uh, in the meantime. Yeah, you know, we'll see what comes out. Obviously, we're waiting on Dawnbringers 4 yes. and the specialty Flesh Eater Quartz box, Yeah, which... I know I'll be picking up. And I think, Brendan, what we might end up doing is, because I've got some pretty significant personal stuff going on, which you were aware of, the timing for the next episode might be, or recording it, might be right in or before that. So I'm thinking maybe, uh, we know that Flesh Eater Courts, don't we, is coming out pretty soon. Yeah, we would think so. And then obviously the full release would come you know, a couple of months later. The book and all that stuff, yeah. Keeping the pattern of special box with, you know, special edition book. Right. And then, you know, just, and then the waiting game begins. Right. So we'll Uh, see, listeners, what we're going to do, because we may end up just doing a 
Christmas show, like before the holidays, we might not be able to fit in those two episodes in December, which is very unusual for us. But again, the circumstances right now of what's going on are, are very unusual as well. And my time just might not be available. I'm going to be on the road a lot and unable to really record and edit and all that stuff. So just to prepare everybody, at the very least, we're probably going to be talking about Brendan's amazing experience at Worlds and some fun moments at RockCon. <laughs> yes, I should play the lottery and you'll understand that uh, after you hear my stories. But otherwise, Brendan, I think that's it, buddy. Yeah. Thank you for your time today. And of course. Listeners, thank you as always for listening in for taking your time with us. We really appreciate you out there. And with that said, you all stay safe, stay healthy, and don't forget shenanigans because life is better when you are up to something. Bye. This is...